Welcome to the dreaded 13th episode of Miniatures Monthly. The pod is darker. The clouds are swirling above. That There are moons, various ghost moons. Various kinds of moon. Uh, the, the portents are malign. They're, they're mm, misaligned in some cases. Darkening of the podcast. Indeed, indeed. Uh, my name is Chris Thurston. And I just have I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. Hello. Um, yeah, so we've kind of rotated through most... Well, we actually were wrong when we said we rotated through all of the Chaos God numbers. Because mm. remember, there are five. Yes, I always forget the rats. That's what we want you yeah. to do. And their number is 13. Yeah. So in addition to this being the month of spooky ghosts and even spookier moons, mm-hmm. it's also a pretty good time to be a little rat friend. They're back. Or a big horny rat friend. <laughs> Actually, I'd mean that slightly differently to what I said. So he's kind of a, he's a, a little chaos god now. He is, yeah. Well, so we've got a whole bunch of different sort of, um, Age of Sigmar and Shadespire related, uh, kind of things we could bounce off to here. Yes. But, um, one thing, let's just erratically bounce all over this subject in, mm. in a way that vaguely makes sense. Um, I like how in the book, Malign Importance, which is now out, which we've read and we'll definitely discuss a little bit more. Yeah. There's a sort of, um, you get a reaction from, um, is a spread, which is just how each individual of the four traditional brother chaos gods all react mm. to what Nagash is doing in the realm of death in the Age of Sigmar. And then you turn the page and on the next page, as if to say, also him, <laughs> yeah. the horned rat is there. Yeah. And that must be a stylistic decision. Like almost mm. the, the, the turning of that page to reveal that, oh, you forgot about the horned rat yeah. is, um, it must be deliberate, right? There's no reason they couldn't have just really com- felt that put way. them into a page. Definitely, definitely the case. I really enjoyed the, that's one of my favorite spreads in the book, actually, because there, there's some brilliant art behind each kind of passage, which kind of reflects the mm. Chaos God. Um, I love Slanesh, which is just a bit shorter than the others, and he's just really worried that it's going to be boring. If death wins, <laughs> it is boring. His great fear is that, you know, the blind importance and, and death, you know, Nagash is just uh, more boring than his brothers. Yeah. And, and yes, yeah, so they've all got sort of reasons to mobilize against Nagash mm. and whatever yeah. Nagash is doing with souls. Um, but for the, and yeah, and just for the, the horn drat, it's like, well, another god's doing something big. I really, I should do that. Maybe it's my time to and shine. I, I, yeah. And I, I kind of like that as like the, um, you know, people have sort of tried to discuss like, what is the horn drat god of other than the god of Skaven, right? Like, you, yeah. know, the, you know, it's not like Zinch isn't the god of pink horrors. No. That's his, that's the expression of him. Um, Skaven aren't demons that, you know, they're, they haven't mm. worship the horn drat, but what is the horn drat the chaos god of is if the chaos god is, is, if he is indeed, it is indeed a chaos god. And I kind of like the idea that it's the, it's the chaos god of sort of being forgotten until the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there, I guess secrets kind of taps into this, but is there a, a chaos god of betrayal and, you know, uh, really like, kind of the, is it, is yeah. It? yeah. So, um, Kieran Gillen actually wrote something about this for Hiptammer, um, which I thought was quite good about like where the, where the Skaven fit in, yeah, the, yeah. in the pantheon, which might link in the show notes actually about sort of them being, sort of always underfoot and sort of representing the sort of kind of um kind of sort of multitudinous combination of all of the different sort of aspects of the chaos gods from mm. entropy to violence to betrayal to um excess but in 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 miniature almost a bit like if if archaeon and the ever chosen and the kind of chaos undivided thing is like all of them in excess yeah the Skaven are sort of like all of them almost in parody. Hmm. It's kind of, I kind of like those kinds of poles. The, the other Chaos Gods kind of reflect an aspect of human experience. 
Um, I mean, rats aren't necessarily an aspect of human experience. I mean, it, I, I like that it is kind of like pretender. Is that the, yeah. the, the chaos pantheon most closely fits what uh, the horned rat wants and believes? But there's no sign that the other gods really accept him. They use him like he's a, the corn rat is a useful thing. Yeah. They're almost using the horned rat's ego uh, to control him. And actually, you know, it, it, he's not really a chaos god. He's just a kind of a vassal state. Yeah, um, but a really dangerous one. And yeah, could really, just, who could just lurch up at any moment and kill someone. Yeah, and the focus so far has been to the horned rat wanting to kind of upend Nurgle, but it has the potential to kind of hmm. upend any of them, which is interesting because yeah. it, it embodies a little bit of all of them. Probably corn the least hmm. because martial honor is not. Really Really. No, no, they um, thing. Very much uh, uh, pestilence, obviously fits them. But yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's, it's the the usurper god rather than a god of something. Yeah. It's the god of the potential to destroy, you know, and, and replace. Yeah, which is in some ways interesting because almost more zinch than zinch mm. um, to some extent. Um, yeah, that's a, a lot of fun. And um, another good uh, number thirteen fact is that um, so I, I picked up the the Skaven warband for Shades Bar, which we could also talk about. And I uh, got the the uh, card pack with the, you know, the card sleeves. Yeah. And those are supposed to come with, and our advertisers coming with, uh, sleeves for the characters, 20 sleeves for the ploy and upgrade cards, mm. and 12 for the um, uh, objective cards, because it's a deck of 12 for them. That's the legal limit. Yeah. And uh, I noticed mine come with 13. <laughs> really? 13 being the Skaven number. I was like, that can't be an accident. Surely that can't be an accident. So I posted on the Grand Alliance forums about it and a few other people said the same thing. So that's apparently fantastic. they yeah. just slip an extra objective card in there. It's illegal to use all 13. <laughs> but the most Skaven thing to do that's so would be to use all 13 and yeah, cheat. Yeah. So That's fantastic. Don't cheat in your games of Shades Bar, obviously. But, mm. you know... That's uh, a great nod, isn't it? If you are going to, then that's probably the way to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really nice. Um... Yeah, so uh, interesting to think where we should start. We should maybe we should start with some of those that Chase by stuff because mm. um, it's uh, you know that's been a really interesting addition to the game. Uh, it's now sort of settled in to a little extent, I believe. Um, so yesterday at uh, Warhammer World, at the time we we're recording this, was the first uh, Chase by Grand Clash at Warhammer World. Yeah, which I was um, hoping to attend and really looking forward to attending, but unfortunately, uh, the arrival of the Everwinter. Yeah, uh, for two days in Britain, basically shut that down plan, that plan down completely. It also resulted in the Age of Sigmar open day being cancelled, mm. which may have resulted in some, uh, reveals and things being pushed back. Right. Yes. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's the, the main malign portent to have struck Britain, uh, in this phase of the malign portent thing. It is just a horrendous snowstorm that has shut down everything. Yeah. And, uh, it made it yeah. impossible to get to Nottingham, basically. Yeah. Think. That's a shame. I mean, uh, it sounded like they they were quite cool about it, and they basically uh, some some designers still went down apparently. And yeah, they, they ran a sort of ad hoc open day for the people who were able to make it, but yeah. cancelled the open day. They cancelled Golden Demon, hmm. um, but they did run the Shades Biogram Clash because they didn't require as many people to, to right. run it. Um, so I was really sad to miss out on that, but it, I watched the final last night. Oh um, yeah, I didn't see the, couldn't see the very end of the final, but I believe Skaven won. Ah, interesting. So which is interesting, and it was Orcs versus Skaven at Ooh, the end, okay. which is interesting because Orcs are the Oryx, sorry. Um, are the powerhouse of mm. Shades Bio to a greater or lesser extent. Not because I think they're necessarily overpowered, but I think because they have the, sh- the shallowest learning curve. Yeah. And so they are overrepresented and therefore do better on average, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so like that, that, that's an interesting matchup because I think Skaven are interesting as quite a high skill cap warband with some very powerful tricks. Yeah. But they don't have out of the box amazing health or amazing damage or the things that kind of give you easy, easier wins. For sure. Um, yeah, I was going to say actually, as a footnote, um, I've been really impressed by, um, I, both how, uh, the Warhammer World, uh, staff handled 
the weather this weekend, which is just a, obviously a very unexpected problem to have in March. Um, but also specifically, um, like just how good that service seemed to be. So I emailed a few weeks ago asking like, when should I get to, uh, Warhammer World for the tournament? Cause I wasn't sure whether to try and get the train up on the morning or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Got an email back the same day from John Bracken, who's been on the stream a bunch of times. He's yeah. um, Warhammer World's events manager. Um, so talking me through it. And then basically John just kept emailing me every time something changed for the next couple of weeks, just kept me on top of things. Mm. And then when they decided to move the start of the event uh, to 8.30 in the morning, which they were going to do initially to make sure that they could run the event on time, um, he got in touch to say that because that changed, that, that um, ran contrary to what they'd previously said about when I could potentially arrive, if that was going to cause problems for me, they'd be happy to give me a first round buy, like mm. a win in the first round oh, well, to give me time to arrive. Yeah, which is like That kind of like people actually reaching out to kind of make sure every individual person is... Mm. Is okay. you know, yeah. it, that was like, I was really impressed by that. Like, yeah. I don't have much more to say about it. It's not some grand point about the company. It's just like, didn't have to do that. And it was, you know, makes me want to, I mean, I know you're heading there later this month, Tom. I'll have to do the doubles tournament towards yeah. the end of March. You might even get lucky in that. I wouldn't be surprised if that's when they reschedule the open day for. Oh, that'd be good. Um, in which case I might go up as well. Not yeah. The tournament, but I might Road go trip. Up. Yeah, exactly. We've got an Airbnb, so you might be able to that'd take be good, actually. Yeah. Cause that would make sense, right? Like yeah. if they, as long as it doesn't take up so much the hall that they couldn't run something else mm. in the area, but. Um, that, that's obviously completely hypothetical. Hmm. I was just dead impressed. Like, um, you know, it, the, the live streams and stuff that GW have done lately have always given the impression that they're sort of like a fun bunch of people with the right attitude towards what they do. Hmm. But that specifically, I was just impressed by because you don't, you know, I was expecting maybe an email back, not a series of, you know, a, a genuine thread discussing the details and how best to make it happen yeah particularly because even despite the conditions i think 70 people made it to that grand clash in there fantastic which is really good that's really good how how regular are the grand clashes there's quite a lot coming up so Mm. there's another one at adepticon in america this coming quite soon in this month yeah i think it's a few weeks away yeah a few weeks away yes it is it is a few weeks away it's a weekend of the 24th 25th i think um and then there's one coming up in May, definitely at the London GT, right? Uh, which I'll be attending for the Age of Sigmar and the Chase Bar. Fantastic. That was that, that was uh, that's a that's going to be a big event. That's happening at the Olympic Stadium in Stratford. Yeah, that's awesome. That um, and that that Shades, they, they have had a Shades Bar event planned for the Friday, and they've upgraded it to a Grand Clash now, which means it'll have cool. the proper prize support and the trophies and stuff from GW. Good. Um, and then there's. There's also going to be one on the Friday of the UK Games Expo, which mm. is the first weekend in June or July. Right. One of the J months. That's cool. So it's every few months then. Yeah. The, the, I mean, like, I feel like GW just sort of, cause I mean, I think the only, the only difference between a Grand Clash and just a monthly tournament or something is like a few extra prizes that GW send along. And I think maybe if they have a team there that can cast it or something like yeah, that, then, that'd be awesome. but yeah, um, that's super promising. And it makes it, the fact that there's a few more coming up makes me a little bit less sad to miss. Hmm. have missed this first one um but we should talk about the warbands themselves so the new ones are uh spike Claw swarm which is the skaven and the chosen axes which are fire slayers hmm. naked sweaty ginger dwarfs very Duarden, uh, sorry it's revealing uh sculpts if you if you turn to certain angles you can you can see that they do not have an they anus do not have any. <laughs> they don't they don't <laughs> i don't know who thought to check that but uh it's confirmed. This it was an interesting sculpting decision mm. because most models do have some kind of underwear on. Yes, if that's a thing. Like um, pink horrors don't, but they don't have bits. No, that's fine. They're demons. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, sorry, I've managed to get into this. So the main bit of painting I've done this month has been my Dark Earth War Queen, mm. and I spent a lot of time on that model, lots of sub assemblies and things, yeah. and you know, making sure. Um, and she's wearing like a, a loincloth and. The inside of that loincloth includes underwear. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like mm. in a way that pointedly 
uh, these little dwarves. Do not. Do not. They uh, are all and I love that this is the first, <laughs> yeah. the first thing. They're going commando, but they're smooth like a Ken doll. Yeah, yeah. So there's, you know what I mean? Like, is that, is uh, the, is that commando? It, well, good question. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if fair. you have nothing to risk, <laughs> <laughs> are you a commando? No, that's a fair point. <laughs> um, so that's, um, it's not the most interesting thing about the warband. <laughs> that's why I'd bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they're interesting because, um, we played a game actually. I was playing with Skellies and you played with Spike Claw. Yeah, it was my first time playing Skaven. Yeah. And it was, it was an interesting game. It was, it was a novel for me as a skeleton player to be able to actually kill stuff fairly easily. Yeah. Uh, and be aggressive. And, um, it was quite an interesting kind of glory off. Uh, you know, we, the kills on both sides and we were both feeding a lot of glory and that was kind of a different dynamic to a lot of other shades of Bob. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm impressed. This is the first time they have introduced new warbands that superficially mirror some things about the previous warbands. Right? right, yeah. Like, first wave of expansions, Orcs were the first four unit big beefy warband and, uh, skeletons are obviously still the only seven model warband. Um, and then Skaven come along and they are five fast, uh, units like Corn, mm. and they have a resurrect mechanic like Skaven, like yes. skeletons, like the Spock Guard. Uh, the Fire Slayers are, um, there are four of them and they have loads of health like Orcs, um, but they also have sort of pretty interesting consistent damage across the board like Stormcast. Yeah. So it feels like this is the first set that have come along and been like, each of the, like, these, none of these mechanics is especially new. They're just in a different combination. Yeah. And I, I'm impressed by how I, you know, I, lo- I love, uh, Shades by as a little sandbox anyway, but like, I think it shows that you can introduce something new to that game that isn't like totally new, but it does feel very different. Yeah. And just in the, how the little individual bits are configured hmm. is, is really pointed. Yeah. The, um, the generic ploys and upgrades are really interesting as well in both sets. Uh, yeah. With some really, really interesting kind of movement mechanics, so called earthquake that just, lets you shove every single uh character on the board in a given direction one hex in a given direction and using that to kind of bump people off points or bump people into traps and stuff like that is really you know it's it's, it's really strong movement game yes it is um and it's becoming more and more important i think mm. um like i mean that card is sort of particularly important because it, it comes with the fire slayers yeah but it's in some ways the counter to fire slayers. <laughs> yeah um because well it's one of them but it's something they have to play around yeah. they have to be willing to play around so the the fire slayers are kind of defined by um, they're two things. One, how slow they are, but also by their inspire mechanic, which means they inspire at the end of an activation phase in which they are end, end it standing on an objective. Yes. Which means what happens in that final ploy phase when you can start shunting people around really matters. Mm. And so if a dwarf player spends every single activation getting one of their dudes onto an objective and then you earthquake them all off, <laughs> yeah. you've basically removed an entire turn for them. Mm. But similarly, that card also really punishes a lot of uh, objective grabby warbands like my corn actually like who want to go for i really i'm really enjoying seeing how that stuff coming in because particularly given that the game was designed as a single set of cards and we're getting it piecemeal like um when they were talking about the new stuff uh there's another card uh deflect rebound is it deflect or rebound i think it's rebound, rebound. yeah yeah which is you, you have a one in three you roll it when you get hit by an attack you have a roll of dice you have a one in three chance of getting the result that means the damage just gets bounce back to your opponent yeah which is nuts potentially because yeah, you have sure. something like obrin with plus one damage smashes a skeleton mm. and you play rebound and he kills himself yeah a petitioner for example. yeah exactly which is insane isn't and it's it? a one in three mm. but over the course of a best of three if that happens once and it wins yeah. you a game that could win the set like yeah, that's interesting isn't it 
I love that uh, Earthquake card as Skelly's player because, you know, the ability to move seven characters one hex and increase their threat range by that amount is actually potentially... Yeah, because you are moving your opponent back the same distance. That's true. But if they hit a wall, they don't yes, move. That's so true. you yeah. have, you know, strategic... Yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting. Uh, I'd really like the way it plays. It was interesting playing against the Skaven because uh, they do have... I really like the card combination which lets you push someone and then use a reaction card to say, oh, you've actually you've been pushed back into a trap. Yes. Uh, that's a really powerful card, actually. That's mm. um, that's going to eventually actually make its way into my corn deck Yeah, nice. um, because there are a few different things you can do with that. Um, corn benefit tremendously from things that... Um, Basically, because uh, Sayek, who's the corn guy with the big double-handed axe, um, he is often best used, as we've just talked about in this podcast before, as a kind of nuke. Because hmm. people usually kill him first. So the more he can do with his first little moments of life, yeah. the more effective he is. And so Mighty Swing is very good for that. Yes. Like, you get it in your first hand of cards, you throw him into the enemy line, you spin around, hmm. you try and do a bunch of damage. Um, and that's why Illusory Fighter is another very good card for Korn because yeah. it means that you can do that and then pull him back. Yeah. Nice. Um, like he's like, he's on a, like one of those little, like, uh, like, uh, cords that you put toddlers on. <laughs> like, flings at them and then you bungee cord him back. Yeah. Um, and then the trap is another really interesting one because trap is like, yeah, if you push an enemy, you can play it as a reaction to do an extra damage, mm. which if you pull that in your first hand of cards means that he goes from being a three damage character to basically a four damage yeah, character, which puts him into the threat range where he can start killing orcs and stormcast yeah. or the leaders of other factions. One shot as Volker Warden. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's within four. And that's definitely worth taking the chance. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. So those things have introduced some really interesting, um, both deck building, but also, um, positioning decision mm. mechanics to the yeah. game. And I, I, it's, it's so cool watching it all kind of, um, come together, particularly cause, you know, um, like I, everyone in, in video game land, not to get totally off topic, but is playing into the breach at the moment. Yeah. Into the breach is a beautifully ga- designed game, but Shade Spire is, uh, similar if not better to me in terms of like how it emphasizes very similar things in terms of um it's all about understanding what what is potentially possible from a given grid position right and then executing it properly yeah um the kind of interesting sort of asymmetric nature of shade spires objective decks and things is, is creates that kind of sense that mm. i don't know what my opponent's trying to do but i think i have a good idea so how do i counter that and yeah. it creates that level of kind of strategic uncertainty that uh you know, most games, most grid strategy games don't have because they're usually built around absolutes. Whereas, mm. uh, Shades of has so many cool mechanics that can turn strange, you know, tra- people can try and engineer weird situations where you can still win, which I really, really like about it. Yeah. I, I really love, um, how, uh, Warbrand's personalities are expressed through the, their mechanics, which is something I always admire in dis- game design. Yeah. Where, you know, the, the fact that Skaven are so sneaky and can chain ploys together and in fact inspire based on ploys is just such a themey thing for them and feels so right. Even as, you know, it's, and it's an interesting game mechanic as well. Um, it, whenever those two things cross over, that's when, uh, I'm, both my imagination is fired up by the, the nature of the warband, but also like my, the gamer side of my brain is also going, ooh, the, yeah. all these possibilities. Yeah. It's that, that really affects like how you choose to, cause you can do like, there's the, the Skaven high five, cause they're required <laughs> to be chosen by a, a ploy. Mm. And almost all ploys in the game are choose a fighter. But the exception to that is confusion, which is choose two fighters and swap them. Mm. If you have confusion in your first hand, you know this before you deploy. Uh, if you have any deployments zones on your, on your board that are adjacent to each other, you make sure you put uh, Scritch and Kirk, who are the two <laughs> yeah. good Skaven, next to each other, and then you switch them at the start of the game, and they both inspire. Yeah, yeah. And you've technically you've waste you've thrown away a, a, a ploy that could be very strategically useful mm. later in the game. You can use it to swap enemies out of position and that kind of thing. 
but you've made that trade-off to inspire your characters and you know and that creates a you know that tells your opponent that you've burned that card you don't have it anymore and yeah. you know what i mean all of this stuff that's that's where the real exciting kind of meat of strategy games comes to f- for mm. me is is when it's like oh you've done this so i know you can't do that so therefore mm. and that's what shades by gets out of being a card game as well it's a reason for it to be a card game and not just no, a sure. kind of game of binary or like pre uh revealed interactions mm. So so much going for it. It's also worth mentioning actually that all those models are rad. As yeah. Well. Lack of lacking um, inconsistent amount of anuses. <laughs> Not much landing. It's not something I've ever required from my model models. <laughs> thankfully. Uh, no, you could. I mean, all you need to do is it's exactly the same discipline as drilling out bolters. If you've got a little drill, then get a little pin vice. Then, if you, if you really need the anatomy to be on yeah, point, for you, uh, yeah, you know, then then you can solve this problem, you know, uh, to whatever extent you feel is appropriate. <laughs> um, you know, when you're going for that golden demon entry, they really do check everything. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, so <laughs> they'll want to know. <laughs> Goodness me, <laughs> howdy poop. That's the that's yeah, that's that's, that's these really kinds of questions it? you have to ask when you're a heavy metal painter. Yeah, um, it's a good release. It's a good release, and that, so this, if I'm right is the first wave of Shadespire. So these are the ones that are designed together. Yeah, there's two more to come. So, oh, of course, there's um, so there's Vanguard, Vanguard and, Corn, and Warriors. Corn Warriors. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, there's, so there are two left of this yeah. sort of round. Okay, that's cool. You can actually figure out. So this this is going to reveal... Like, So my second favourite thing um, after painting um, is um, organising. Because <laughs> it has the things I do the most, right? Yeah. Like painting, organising, <laughs> and then playing, really, yeah. in that order. Um and so I, um, I sort of doubled down on kind of organizing my Shadespire cards and things. So I've got two, two binders now and I've arranged all the cards by type and number. And so this is possibly the most boring subject on earth. Um, uh, I'll, I'll show you. Yeah, there they are. Yeah. You so I was just going around the room there. And, uh, funny. <laughs> um, but while, um, arranging them by type and number, I realized that the way they are numbered <laughs> is based on, um, like, uh, what type of card they are. Hmm. It has a certain block. So all of the, all of the universal upgrade cards represent one block of numbers mm. out of the 470 cards in Shadespire. Yeah. And in that block, they're alphabetical. Right. So hypothetically, <laughs> if you were a big enough nerd to do this, <laughs> yeah. you can figure out exactly what letters the missing cards begin with. Mm. And I can tell you, there's a bunch of objectives beginning with A missing, I think. Right. That's because if you, because, yeah, that's, I've awesome had, punch. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's basically no way to speculate. But if you were digging for an article about Shadespire. Yeah. That's and what, you, that's, that's certainly there's something there. That's, um, that's, you know, that says more about me than it does about the future of Shadespire, but I didn't mm. do that. Um, so yeah, there, there's holes basically in where the, the new stuff will come in. Um, and I'm really kind of interested to see what that is. And there are some, there are some calls that we know what they are. Like we're missing the last two Cataphrane artifacts. Oh yeah. Which is almost like a World of Warcraft set bonus. <laughs> yeah. And actually I've started building a skeleton deck around that. Oh, interesting. Cause I think, I think there are two warbands that can do that. Cause the way that works is, um, you have upgrades that actually don't do much by mm. themselves. Um, but you start getting a set bonus the more of them you add and they get pretty good you get yeah. like re-rolls and stuff like that the last one which you can't do at the moment because the full six cards aren't out is nuts right. you've seen what the last one is isn't it just like five glory or something yeah 
It's an action that gives you four glory. <laughs> you just do it every turn. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're not going to get it on until turn three, probably. Probably, because you need six glory to even get all oh, those cards. I think it, uh, I could see why you'd want to put it on skellies, because you don't need the upgrades on skellies. On everyone else, and you just put them on the warden. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, yeah, it just like becomes like, fabulous. If I ever pull that off, and it's actually fun to run, I might buy a second set of skellies and yeah. convert the fabulous warden. <laughs> so you swap like him out. For, like, yeah, yeah, use Stormcast parts to just make him really shiny. Yeah, and, I think I think Stormcast are the other warband that could hypothetically do it. Yeah. Because they already have to be super efficient about piling up upgrades on one character mm. and in that case in the, skull, in the Stormcast case I don't think it matters which of them end up getting piled in upgrades yeah um, I think your problem with skellies is um, they struggle to get going with glory so actually yes. generating the glory in early rounds to start putting the items on your board would be hard but it is cool that there's stuff cool. like yeah, that right, kind of yeah. lurking in the game like the whole mm. catastrophe thing they must have designed that for a reason yeah, six sure. cards right sure. like that are dedicated to that it's, yeah. quite, it's a funny theme build isn't it you can see people going to tournaments just have a laugh with the, the catastrophe mm. build you know yeah. yeah, totally. And then there are things like the keys, which are really interesting, oh, yes, which are the yeah. upgrades that, the upgrades that if you hold, if you have the upgrade and that character is holding a particular, each, each key is specific to a particular objective token. Mm. So if you have, I don't know, I think it's the blazing key that, and you're holding objective three at the end of the game, you get two points, mm. which is quite a lot. That has sort of found a new lease of life of Skaven because Skaven are really good at getting around the board. Yeah. They can resurrect into your backfield. Mm. So. You know, it's worth the activations and the points to maybe stick one of those upgrades on a rubbish Skaven. Yeah. Bring them back to, like, particularly put them on the rubbish Skaven because they can come back to life. Because mm. this isn't great on Skeletons because, yeah, you can bring the petitions back to life, but they remain stuck in your half of the map. <laughs> and two movement. And very slow. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you put them on a Skaven mm. and they're inspired. They're movement five. Yeah. With sprint, they can get anywhere. Mm. So, you know what I mean? You can rely, semi-reliably bring them back in your opponent's backfield, run them over to an objective. Yeah, and yeah, let's cap it, right. Um, so that's, um, that's one of the things I like about it is it feels like it's not like, um, some of the power creep you sometimes experience in games like this where something mm. comes along and it wasn't designed alongside the original set. This stuff does feel that you're getting almost like the full kind of, um, we had sort of like demo version Shadespire and the more stuff comes out, you get closer to like whatever full Shadespire, Shadespire is. Yeah, yeah. And whatever comes after that, I don't know, but it's, it's super cool. Some of the Warhammer Underworlds reset, who knows? Yeah. Uh, so, um, I'm going to make my March total fucking Hail Mary guess. Right. So in, um, I think my importance, the book, uh, which we can move on to shortly, actually, um, is the first time they've talked about where the Skaven live now. Right. Or which is Blight City. Oh yeah. Which is a, the new Skaven Blight. By they the of things. mentioned, uh, clinician assassinating leaders in Blight City. In Blight City. Blight yeah. City yeah. And this reminds me a lot of, it was last May that, uh, the skirmish expansion came out for Age of Sigma, mm. and that was the first time they started talking about Shadespire. Like the original sk- skirmish campaign is set in Shadespire, in the part of Shadespire that isn't lost between realms. Yeah, you know, cursed by Nagash, and um, they obviously did that on purpose. They were like, "We're going to start seeding this idea. We're going to in- mm. introduce the Cataphrains as a concept. We're going to introduce Shade Glass yeah. as a concept, which was a precursor to Gravesand, which is now a thing in the oh, importance yeah. of the lore and how they're explaining that." Mm. Um, and, you know, yeah, then six, seven months later, Shadespire comes out and suddenly, uh, uh, is the setting and it's gone from being just a little footnote in the Lord to being the big thing. Yeah. I won, like, whenever, whenever that happens now, whenever like a, a something new appears, even if it's just in a footnote, mm. it's almost like bookmark that because that could be a sign yeah, of what's coming sure. next. Yeah. And I was just imagining that like a Skaven hive city would also be a cool setting for something like this and it would certainly fit with the underworlds. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. That's right. Right, we should talk about we should talk about my importance actually because there is other mm. news to get around to, but my importance is certainly um, 
the most recent big AOS release. And it's definitely going to theme what we have to talk about later in the pod as well, because we have now played a proper battle with it. A proper malign importance battle. Yeah. It's um, a huge kind of, uh, it's, it's the next big moving on of the story of Age of Sigmar, basically, yeah. which is probably the headline thing about it, more so for me than the rules and a lot of the extra stuff that come with it. It's the fact that it's moved, it's pushed the whole setting into Shyish and it's actually forcing people to take on Dagash and each other yeah. in the, the realm of the undead. And as part of this, they're taking this opportunity to clarify a lot more the realm of death looks like. Mm. Um, and um, it's a bit of a kind of Discworld-esque scenario where uh, whenever a culture comes up with the notion of what the afterlife might look like, it starts to form in Shaiish. And, uh, so it's actually, it's a, it's a huge amalgamation of loads of different cultural ideas of uh, post life of, you know, of the, of the afterlife. Um, and that's potentially like an incredibly vibrant and exciting, uh, setting, but actually Nagash corrupts it to the extent that he makes it as Slanesh would say, boring. Like he, his, his ego and his kind of vision for what, post-death should look like is actually taken what could be a beautiful realm yeah. that makes people happy <laughs> and turned it into a kind of hellscape <laughs> yeah and and applied the kind of nagashes are sort of aesthetic to everything yeah, so it's yeah. all pyramids now yeah that's what like doesn't matter what you wanted the afterlife to be mm. i hope you liked inverted pyramids <laughs> yeah it's a um, thing yeah um yes and and so it's also worth clarifying that the malign importance book that came out is not like particularly compared to the realm gate wars books because they were like there were like six of them yeah, and they were like 75 quid each and they were like 300 pages. Mm. They're all huge. Um, this is my importance itself is a relatively slender book. And it's also the beginning of this story. It's right. not the whole thing. Yeah, right. Sure. Like it's actually the book spends a lot about as much time getting you up to speed with the story so far mm. in age of Sigma as it does. Like pushing it, pushing it forward. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Um, I thought like, I've seen people say like, where do I start reading if I want to get on sp- up to speed with Age of Sigmar? And I'd honestly say that like, the Mind Bortons book basically gets you. Yeah. Pretty the, much. The, the Realmgate Wars, um, there are some cool kind of sub stories as part of it, but the broad arc of it is pretty simple and you could get it in two sentences really. <laughs> you know, Stormcast go down and fight corn and then there is a battle for the old points. And they fight it. Nurgle for a bit. Yeah. And, and there's, there's cool sub stories. Elariel has a beetle now. Elariel comes back. That's really neat. That's, that's mm. nice. That's quite a cool story. Um, but broadly, it's just, you know, order pushes out into the realms and forge some cities. That's it. There's a stalemate at that point. Yeah. Um, and this is, a, you know, you, you get that in a couple of pages in this book and then it starts developing and starts, you know, moving factions into Shaiish and kind of broadening the scope of what the factions look like as well. Yeah. So it certainly, it feels like order as a faction is, is a really interesting kind of multifaceted. It's not like they don't all get together and say, Oh, what's order going to do today? It's actually just loads of different interesting weird societies who could easily fight one another, really. Yeah. The, the sort of the thing they're settling on, um, as the defining characteristic of order is almost empire building. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, and so that's sort of what binds them, even mm. if they're very different interpretations of what that means. Yes. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some cool developments. So to kind of, uh, so Nagash is building something that requires a lot of souls. Mm. And there's been a lot of clarifications for like how the realms fit together and how they work. I think we talked about that last yeah. month, maybe. But one of the things that's come along is every, every realm has its own kind of matter, um, called mm. realmstone, which is sort of related to what that realm is like. So for Shayush, it's Gravesand and um shade glass which is the thing that traps souls in shade spire mm. is um made from gravesand it's 
in the same way that glass is made from sand. Right. Like that's kind yeah. of what it is. It's processed realmstone, mm. basically. Um, and this kind of reminds me of warpstone. It feels like the whole old Warhammer kind of crystallized magic thing mm. that the Skaven loves so much has sort of, um, grown out into a kind of lots of different elemental forms, which mm. is appropriate to the way the setting has changed as well. Um, but Nagash is gathering all that up to build something. And that something is very, very likely to do with souls and the siphoning off of souls. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of expressed through a bit of Slanesh's worries about this as well. That's the person God most fond of eating them. Yeah. Um, but I think what surprised me actually is that sort of the, the Malign Portland story is really about how all of these different armies from all of the Grand Alliances kind of come together and how it's a complete mess. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the kind of the cliffhanger it ends on is that this is a kind of battle without end hmm. in a collapsing kind of realm of death bloody hellscape that nobody apparently is going to win mm. and partly that benefits nagash obviously because more death is more death and that, that that you know all of these different armies have the chance to reach nagash's stronghold and put an end to what he's doing but none of them have mm. but also the uh reveal at the end of the malign portents book in true kind of traditional warhammer fashion yeah. that the one of the main factors engineering that chaos is guess who <laughs> Zinch, which is really weird because mm. it's like chaos is also involved you know what i mean it's like this huge yeah. corn horde is basically completely screwed over by zinch yeah. at the same time as the stormcast get completely screwed over by zinch yeah 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 it's interesting that i mean it's you can read it as zinch um basically seeing the whole whole thing as a way to get at corn basically it seems less worried about nagash i mean nagash is a god but it's never seemed that the chaos especially fears him really no they, i mean um Archeon just went out and slapped him down over and over again uh yes. for an entire era so <laughs> so that feels like nagash is a solved problem for them uh even if they don't necessarily mm. know what what his grand project is this time they've put him down so many times that they're more interested in using nagash's plans to shaft other chaos gods and humans yeah and and this is expressed because so the um I liked that they bring back um, Vandis Hammerhand. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he's having real bad dreams <laughs> about spooky skeletons. Yeah. And this is enough for him to go to Sigmar and say, we've got to do something about them spooky skeletons. Mm. And Sigmar's like, okay, I'm going to build a planetarium <laughs> yeah, and staff that. it with men with great handlebar mustaches. <laughs> a great plan, Dad. Yeah, the Lord Alternators are sort of well, first of all, Sigmar goes up into the heavens and throws down a load of rocks everywhere. And, and then he sends down Lord Ordinators to find the rocks. And it's like, kind of a dick move. <laughs> it's like, why don't you just like send them both down Fetch. together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go and quest for hundreds of years to find these things and then, uh, build scrying citadels on them. Uh, but yeah, so I, I kind of, what I liked about that part of the story as a Stormcast player is that it actually suggests that the Stormcast can change Sigmar's mind and that they're not just like slavishly following his every command yeah. is that they're actually are thinking beings who can come to him with problems and actually change his course of action so it, it changes it from being like a, a god subject relationship into something a little bit more interesting yes yeah like Sigmar's approachable in the way that mm. the emperor isn't for example yeah exactly yeah. um and I, I kind of, something i really like about the way the edge of sigma fiction is maturing is that's kind of how a lot of the gods kind of behave mm. like they are super powerful but it's complicated being a god mm. there's um like uh we talked about this last month but um nagash and dying king which is the josh reynolds book that i just read last month mm. um has a lot of this because Nagash is kind of unreasonable and even his Mortarks know that. Yeah. And a lot of their life on death is spent steering Nagash towards away. Even Arkan, who's traditionally the kind of head prefect of the Morfect, right? Mortarks, he's the most loyal yeah. and the most kind of like Nagash in aspect 
spends a lot of time going, no, because <laughs> you know, Ash is unstable in some ways. It's kind of managing him. Yeah, similarly, um, uh, Spirit Shadows has a lot of characters interacting with Grungli, who's the god, oh, yeah. god of the Forge. Love those scenes. Yeah, yeah and Grungli is kind of really interesting because mm. there's a, have you finished Spirit Shadows? Uh, no, about two thirds of the way through. Okay. I mean, there's, there's, um, there's a nice moment at the end that reveals why the gods don't act. Mm, um, okay. and this is not really a spoiler, so I might say it because it kind yeah, of frames a lot of things and it might explain some things about Sigmar. Yeah. It's that when the gods act, they basically act as a, like a force multiplier and a beacon for other gods to act. Right. So if it's a god manifests in the, in the mortal realms, there's n- it kind of allows the other gods to do it. Mm. So they stay out of it. Like, you know, this is sort of established by that, like literally Grungli's presence in the mortal realms means that the moment Grungli is present, Corn starts getting closer, mm. like almost like a kind of um, like a celestial object. Ah, like as soon as he's there, it's like a magnet. So the corn will start getting closer and closer and closer. Yeah, yeah. So they have to stay away and act through proxies um, in order to kind of keep the balance, which I really like as an idea. Yeah, it like, cool. sort of explains like they're how active they're very active and they are fallible, mm. but they have a reason to kind of be cautious about how they use their power. Yeah, which I, is what, yeah. They've they've also come out of an entire eon uh, where they did act in the mortal realms all the time mm. and like sigma would actually lead his armies and then he would fight corn and it was a disaster <laughs> like it was everybody died it was terrible like it, even if order was you know winning they weren't really because it was just everything was war all the time and the, that escalation just defeated the point of yeah. there being any civilization and this will be a really interesting thing to talk about when we get to daughters of cain which will be the big month that we get to in a minute yeah um for various reasons and i i went back and reread a lot of end times fiction this month because mm. a lot of reading time and actually a lot of that stuff feels more important to age of sigma than i thought yeah, yeah um along those lines as well um so yeah the um the uh something we'll jump off when we get to our, this month's battle report because actually one thing i think i like that we did today is we built we um We'll see what happens, but we, you know, we've jumped back into full on Stormcast versus Zinch Age of Sigma now. We've got all these new rules and a new setting. Mm. In some ways, I guess we're ready to sort of start throwing those armies at each other again and yeah. moving that story forward. Refresh a hundred years later kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but found a way of, a cool way of tying it explicitly into what's currently happening in the fiction. Mm. And that's sort of tied to what happens at the end of my importance, which is that, um, the Stormcast sort of hammers of Sigma part of that great battle in Shayish um, is partly led astray by a, um, a vanguard a vanguard hunter prime I think mm. called Gale Walker who tells the leader of the Stormcast don't be such a coward help your own people yeah. because there are, there's a different storm host I think the anvils of the Heldenhammer mm. um, who are bogged down in this battle and mm. the, the hammers of Sigmar turn back from attacking Nagash to go and bail out their friends then the ground collapses it's full of goblins you know like <laughs> it goes to complete shit yeah. and in that battle Gale Walker then vanishes and mm. is never seen again and then the last shot of well shot sorry the last moment in light importance is Gale Walker um, approaching this war scryer citadel that the stormcast and the chaos forces previously used to find out where to fight yeah. except on his way back he turns into the changeling <laughs> and the citadel turns into a silver tower yeah which is a real like whoa f- what the you know i mean given those citadels were created by sigma there's like that sort right. of yeah like yeah it's really cool is it and yeah i do feel like it's, it's a, you know it's fun being a Zinch player a lot of the time mm. because you're kind of in everyone's stories all the time. <laughs> when, when the cities got built in the, at the end of the Realmgate Wars thing and it's like, oh, by the way, all of those architects, they were all a changeling. Mm. That's why your infrastructure is so bad. <laughs> That's why the bins are picked up on Tuesdays. 
yeah, a plan really. within a plan. Yeah, Zeech is always there, isn't it? Whereas, you know, Korn isn't always there. Korn is, is the barbarian at the gates. Zeech is always inside the fortress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making weird, just doing weird just things. Just doing weird things. <laughs> dancing. Being a know, weirdo. Giving people dreams. Um, so we, uh, we built, uh, we'll get to this, I guess, when we get to a battle report, but we built our scenario out of that idea. Right. So, uh, I really like that idea. Yeah, it's really like, nice. You, you have your detachment of the Hammers of Sigmar characters that you'll know from your army, like Tantris, mm. being sent to find out what happened to Gale Walker and encountering mm. the Zeech army on the road yeah. to the Silver Tower, which yeah, is a nice kind of it's red rad isn't it yeah they're back everybody they're back everybody <laughs> fighting Guess, again yeah um i'll find out what happens later in this episode actually hmm. um so i really like that stuff um so the, the part of so that's the the law part of my line importance hmm. um i guess we should talk about the rules because there's a lot of them there are actually yeah I was surprised. um when we get to our battle report because yeah. that's probably the best way to introduce mm, them i think because we agreed. could use them um what that leaves is dread solstice which is the event that's running at the moment mm. and um there's not loads to say about this, but I, I've been, I think this is a, a quite successful way of running these kinds of events. Cause like, not to, you know, there should be no illusions. The purpose of these kinds of events is to get people into Warhammer's doors and buying stuff. Sure. Right? Like, hmm. that's why they've always done these kinds of big, like, whose Grand Alliance is going to win type things where you go in and you register results and you push a bar in a direction. Yeah. However, um, I really like how they're doing this one. Mm. Um, I think it's, I think given that it's in that genre, um, the big difference is that, so there's, this is to sort of chart the ongoing course of what's happening during the malign importance. So every week something happens, there's some situation. So week one was just the malign importance are happening. There's mm. weird stuff happening everywhere. You think that's corn, it's human teeth, like whatever, yeah. right? That kind of thing. Um, and then there's a question, which is what do you do? And, the uh and then they are the the choices and this is the crucial thing aren't assigned to particular factions mm. and they're all ambiguous enough that you can kind of figure out what your faction's version of that theme is yeah so um in the first week i wanted to pick the one which was like take advantage of this and learn all the secrets or something mm. um because that feels very zinchy to me but could also be a sort of you know we need intel in this thing. Yeah, exactly. The Stormcast, yeah. Um, and then, uh, but the one that got chosen by the community at large was uh, slay all of the naysayers, which is like go out and find all of these prophets of doom and people are saying that the portents are going to destroy everybody and kill them. Mm. And um, which could be a Stormcast purge, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of like of, of heresy. It could be, you know, chaos warlords slaying all of the people who's, speaking against them you know what yeah, i mean you can yeah. do your own version of, of this for sure. your army yeah. um and when that won the mass death of all of those prophets <laughs> and sort of oracles and seers um all of their souls rushing to shyish at the same time caused a spooky moon no, called no. Lunagast <laughs> to be born yeah and so the world gave birth to a ghost skull moon hmm. that got closer and closer to the world like a majora's mask or something it sounds like the plot of bloodborne as well yeah and started demanding secrets oh right and so people started show running your to the and stops yeah exactly <laughs> there's no way in which this isn't to show me what you've got <laughs> yeah. or, or more accurately like you know <laughs> like show me your diary <laughs> yeah. um uh and that created that mad situation and then that with that came a uh, new rules for a week mm. so new rules and um and then a new decision which um i really like because um the the next decision was like do you take this opportunity to learn all the secrets do you um 
you know, pray to your own gods for salvation or, you know, do, do what the Skaven did during the end time, try and blow up the moon again. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, um, and I was thrilled that, um, the learn all the secrets thing, which I chose because Zin- very Zinchi, hmm. um, won this week by exactly one vote globally. That is insane. Which is nuts. Mm-hmm. It won by one vote globally. And on Thursday last week, so you and I went into the Games Workshop in Bath yeah. to play a game of Shadespire. And while I was there, I went, oh, I finished painting my War Queen. Can I register that as one point mm. in favor of that one? Oh, so I like to think I it. specifically did that. Yeah. I know that's not how that works, but I've decided that it is. That's reasonable. So that means my War Queen specifically, mm. my harbinger of the malign portents, <laughs> is responsible for that. It's pushed it in this direction. Yeah. Exactly. So when will you learn what happens next? So next well, week. those results are out. Okay. And then, um, cause it resets on a Thursday. Mm. So then ne- on Thursday, um, whatever happens next will happen. And this is going to go for the next six weeks, I think. Right. Um, but I think the idea is that these um, outcomes will change things about the way the law works. Oh, cool. So like a lot of the cities that support the firestorm expansion, which we need to get around to playing, yeah. um, came about because of the event they ran after the Realmgate Wars. Right. And all those cities, uh, exist because order completely smashed that event. But one of the reasons Order completely smashed that event was because in that thing, it was based on Grand Alliances. Mm. And it was partly like battles won and things painted, but it was also stuff bought. And that event started, I think, the same weekend Sylvaneth came out. Right. And so, so Order totally order. smashed it because yeah. Sylvaneth were huge. And so that, you know, all those models were selling like crazy. So Order completely smashed it. Mm. And that meant all these cities got built at the end of the Realm Gate Wars, whereas otherwise it would have been more chaos wastes or something like yeah. that. So I think, I think stuff like... Mate, like you know, it's kind of cool to think maybe Lunagast, the Spooky Moon, is kind of here to stay now as a feature <laughs> of the Mortal Realms. Right. Um, that may be crucial in some novel in mm. five years that somebody writes. And yeah, yeah. I think that's what kind of appeals to me about it is like, mm. or appeals to me about this kind of storytelling is that so much stuff in um, sort of the long form world building comes across, comes out, comes about due to kind of innocuous things, mm. like. You know, I think a good example of this is like the original Adeptus Titanicus board game, Titan fighting game yeah. needed a setting where Marines could fight Marines because mm. they didn't want to do two factions, two alien factions or something. So uh, why don't we have some kind of heresy? <laughs> right. So they invent the Horus heresy. Mm. And then that's an amazing later, story now. Years yeah. later, there's 50, not the 50 odd yeah. novels. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So maybe... Maybe there'll be 80 novels about Lunagast, the spooky moon, everyone's <laughs> favorite Age of Sigmar character, and it'll always all come back to that vote, you know? Like, yeah. Could be the new Chaos God. What, Lunagast? Lunagast. <laughs> the, the god of... The god of yelling at people to yeah. ask for their personal <laughs> yeah. secrets. The god of what you got. The god of what you got. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's um, that's been neat as well. That's really cool. That's really cool. I love that. Um, I think, yeah, I think... Um, a lot of the problems we were talking about this type of event a couple of months ago, I think, and listed a load of problems with it. And it sounds like this solves all the problems with that type of event. But. Yeah, it doesn't solve the fact that like it's a marketing thing. Sure, and there's something, but there's something kind of wrong with that, right? You kind of like if you're in for it, you're in for it. It's not mandatory. Right? No, no, no. And also, I mean, it's it's a free story. You know, it's a it's a free kind of mm. rule set. For people who, you know, even people who don't buy or participate in any of it. Yeah, you don't have to participate in it to run yeah. this week's rules. Exactly. Special yeah, rules yeah. Or something. It, it yeah. is, it is all free stuff. And, um, the website is really nice as well. I like the more important kind of, it's very themey and full of cool art, uh, and all that stuff's free. Uh, so I think, yeah, it's just a nice thing for people who want to participate. Yeah. Yeah. So the other, uh, and I guess final bit of AOS news is, the fact that I guess this weekend, um, Daughters of Cain, yeah. which is the latest huge release, you know, big release or, or sort of, you know, big update to an old range, but also 
substantial amount of new stuff. Yeah. Um, I think we're sort of this. So there's, um, so the story side to this, cause it's a bit of a left turn from everyone expecting a big death release. Yeah. But guess what? Snakes. <laughs> um, is that, um, Marathi, who was eaten by Slanesh at the end of the end times is back mm. and, uh, with a really rad model that I like a lot where yeah. she has two Easy. forms. Uh, one, which I think we, we thought discussed as a rumor last week, but we, we were did correct about, um, which is that she has one where she's the Oracle of Cain, where she's in sort of elven form with mm. big gold wings and another where she big snake yeah it's that's the which is her true form insanely good model yeah it's great it's so dynamic and it's kind of the posing is so perfect on it and she's kind of rearing back and the the wings are swept around her you know and she's so it's a similar pose to the the smaller version of her but she's thrusting forward the staff yeah which is kind of unleashed the full kind of wild power of and her there's, there's some cool rules like you can choose to transform her but she also has a chance to kind of like freak out if she takes wounds which is kind of interesting yeah okay go hulk out basically into mm proper Marathi form. Right. Um, and yeah, obviously big rules up, update to the daughters of Cain. There's, um, there's a bunch of, um, probably a bunch of things to discuss. One thing from a law point of view that I find, um, really interesting is obviously the whole thing's called daughters of Cain. Uh, Marathi is supposed to be the Oracle of Cain. Cain mm. being the kind of, um, old world elf God of murder and war. Mm. Definitely not corn. <laughs> it's not definitely made not, no mistake. Cain, not corn. Not corn. Um, however, um, one thing that they've kind of confirmed is Cain is dead. Yeah. All the elven gods are dead. Mm. Um, well, all the old elven gods are dead. Right. Marathi is lying. Mm, that's She's so good. Pretend- she has Cain's heart. Yeah. Her- his iron heart and is using it to kind of get her followers to follow her. Mm. But all of their worship and their devotion and their kind of energy is for her benefit. Yeah. She's lying to them, which I think is really rad. So Cause it also frames that kind of godhood thing. Like, cause mm. otherwise, cause, um, she, you know, there are a few gods that do act. Alariel's the other one. Um, but yeah. Marathi isn't actually a god. She's mm-hmm. just pretending. Well, you know what I mean? You know, she's getting close to something like yeah. it, but yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. There's definitely, um, I, I have seen like when they, uh, revealed like the Daughters of Cain book and the rest of it, like there's no getting around the fact that this is the, it's the witch elf update. And in doing so, it kind of puts the most kind of, like certainly like probably the least progressive aspect of GW's fantasy range <laughs> right front and center yeah at this point in time if that makes sense yeah which is something like i don't know i can definitely see, understand why people are put off by it cuz the the like moving the BDSM elves into the order faction is mm-hmm. something that i can get behind cuz i think it's nice that they're kind of detached from like guess what bikinis are always evil which is <laughs> right certainly yeah. previously a warhammer thing yeah but it definitely feels like kind of awkward timing in a way as the rest of age of sigmar and gw more generally start to get start to begin this glacial progress back towards there being more female mm. miniatures and more kind of interesting diversity in the game with things like new black talon and angrad and um to some extent the new Escher gang to some extent and like dark oath war queen yeah to some extent again because yeah. she's i mean i'm talking about that model in more detail but like they're sort of getting somewhere close, glacial, inch by inch, a little bit of progress. And then the, um, something like the Daughters of Cain release plonks the kind of most, um, kind of not, I wouldn't say necessarily re- regressive, but certainly most like questionable kind of part of that range, right front and center again. Mm. And obviously there are new models and I like, I like the new Marathi model. I, I like the, the other new models. So there's the Harpies. 
uh, I think the Kynari and the Medusae and the Medusae, the snake, the snake archers. And yeah. The, yeah. I think they're actually pretty cool models. They, they, they're clearly kind of monstrous and dramatic and, and so on. Um, but also you have all the old kind of, um, uh, dark elf stuff yeah. where it is very much sort of a little bit too kind of eighties TNA in some ways. <laughs> right. And that stuff, you can sort of inch it back towards acceptability with lore and with presentation and, and context. But it would be it would be so nice if this was being contrasted with the fact that let's say there were female Caradron overlords or female mm. um, or more female miniatures in other ranges or a better you know a new liberator kit that has the option for female Stormcast liberators. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what the setting desperately needs is variety, mm. and it's nice that this big sort of female led faction has come along all at once. But it's being contrasted with nothing, nothing but the kind of male dominated Warhammer land. Yeah, it's a tricky, um, like, they've done this a lot of factions where they've done, like, a few new sculpts, Sylvaneth the same. Yeah. A few new sculpts, and, uh, then basically just reuse the old range. It's obviously a business decision. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends, like, how you take those models depends on the context in which you see them. Like, yes. And you can recontextualize them for yourself, and a book can do that. And I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be the a kind of male gazy, you know, uh, bikini fest type army if you don't want it to be, depending on how no. you paint it and portray it. I think, I think you're right. And I think, I think actually the art they've produced and the fiction they've produced is moving that stuff in a good direction. Mm. Cause like, cause you go back, you dial the clock back, you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years in the Warhammer, you end up with Marathi as the leader of the cult of pleasure. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> right. Like she's worshiping Slanesh and Slanesh is explicitly the god of like, you know, anything slightly carnal sins, basically. Carnal, basically. Yeah. And that's all super like dated now. I think comes yeah, off as really dated. Really dated yeah. Um, you know, they have done some progressive things with, you know, I, I like that they've moved them into order as a faction yeah. from chaos or from something like, you know, evil, mm. because it means that like, cause Warhammer's always had that issue with like, um, good being like completely sexless right. and evil being, yeah, yeah. you know, like everyone who's good is a paladin or an, a nun or, or a, a, one of the kind of, one of the kind of kink free elves. Mm. Elves kind of straddle that divide traditionally. Yeah. Um, uh, where, and everyone who's evil is kind of like got the nipples out basically. Like, <laughs> um, and it's nice to see that redressed. However, like sort of bikini clad, murderesses is definitely an old school fantasy trope yeah it is that maybe you can try and present in a kind of sort of contextualized or subverted way or or like argue that you're going for a kind of like or even that you're going for some kind of retro fantasy vibe with Mm. the big 80s hair and the frank frazetta musculature and all the rest of it but at the end of the day you have done the bikini elves range and if you understand the production, how the production timelines work and how the schedule works, you could again explain that away, but it still means that this is the sort of front and center of it. Yeah. And I think this is specifically interesting considering what's probably coming next. Cause you could, you could also point to the fact that the Sylvaneth range is really interesting mm. because one, it, you know, the, the rest of the wanderers kind of wood elves thing didn't have the same problem that the witch elves do where it's like, okay, yeah. But also when they did reinvent the wood elves, they're monstrous and kind of really interesting. And there's yeah. actually quite a lot of, you know, um, like the way they reinvented dryads and that kind of stuff mm. and created this whole range of like, um, sort of female or feminized monsters out of the wood elf concept was super successful. Yep. Um, 
but it just feels that with with um, Daughters of Cain, it's ended up in this sort of awkward middle ground where it's like it's fine potentially if it's successfully contextualized by all the things that sit around it, but not all of those pieces are in place yet. If that mm. makes sense, like yeah, it's difficult. I mean, there is an aspect to Warhammer and any kind of um, especially very visually driven fantasy medium where every everyone is hyper muscular or or mm. you know on the male side as well. Like um, the, the, the musculature and stuff on Corn Warriors is bordering on absurd you know i mean that's yeah. part of you know what they're supposed to be about but you know it, it applies to female models as well it does and I, I like that there is some variety like in the credit like um the the war queen who i've finished painting i've been a lot of time painting i really like as a model because she is in that she's still in that like frank frisetta conan the barbarian vein like yeah. the dark earth chieftain um she's wearing like you know a metal bra basically and chainmail and a big cape and huge shoulder pads and a big crown made of horns and all this stuff. But um she's explicitly um very muscular. She has scar tissue um mm. that's modeled onto the miniature. She's um in a very dynamic pose. She has a really strong facial expression that isn't passive in any way. Mm. Um it's very dynamic. Um she looks like she could beat you up kind of thing. Yeah. And and that's nice to see and that's a nice variety. I like the new Escher miniatures in Necromander for the same reason. Like they've put a lot of m- emphasis on musculature and stances and things which yeah. that that is I think stands in important contrast with equivalents in games like Malifaux where they have gone in a pin-up direction specifically for the female miniatures and not for the male, sure. which is that's the sh- shit bit. However, it, I would love like I think the thing I'd like to see GW do is like do um it's still nonetheless the case that you get female mentions in those contexts but basically just the exception of stormcast yeah like stormcast is the only one where it's like there are um men and women that are equivalently not topless (laughs) you know what i mean Mm. like um i'd really love it i really would have loved it if there were um female carriage and overlords feels like female dwarves is a kind of threshold they've not crossed like yeah it, it, they're all in suits aren't they i mean is they it, are but is a law point that there aren't they're, women they're masculine yeah they're sort of masculinized suits in a way because the suits do have metal beards mm. you know i mean as much as you could say the thing that like you guess like tours in particular but, yeah an odd, odd, odd one because they're you know it's always been a kind of fantasy and joke that you know what does a, a dwarf woman look like and do they even exist you know that, that that's existed for tolkien and going way back yeah 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 uh, so that's true yeah so, i think it's just i'd like to see that like i'd like yeah. to see the non sort of lithe warrior races have mm. as much diversity as the lithe races just because that feels, feels like it pushes things towards like yeah they're still like feminine and then masculine and masculine tends to be overwhelmingly male or whatever, if that yeah it's, it's interesting isn't it because like i mean you uh you can want femininity in your model ranges, but then a very exaggerated and, you know, uh, Warhammer fantasy depiction of femininity is in the Daughters of Cain kind of becomes problematic in some ways. And I think, yeah, where, I think, where does it cross the line really? I think, I think it's problematic when it's not, um, original enough, okay. which is like where, you know, so where you don't look at it and go, I've not seen something like that before, which is where I think the Sylvaneth is successful. Mm. Cause you could make the argument that like, um, you know, Drake is not going to top on. That's true. Right. I've just painted Drake. <laughs> can confirm. Yeah. yeah. But, um, she's also a tree beast. Yeah. And is very, uh, and you could argue there are feminine aspects of that miniature, but it's overwhelmingly monster and it's quite an original idea of what a dryad might look like. Sure. And it's a very different sense of what an ent might look like, given mm. that that's kind of where they come from as well. It's yeah, like, yeah. if all of Tolkien's ents are kind of doddery old blokes that move very slowly and make decisions very slowly, mm. you know, she's the extremely angry, you know, spirit of vengeance yeah. kind of ent. 
which is a different full of bees. Yeah. The veggies are just full of bees, which is a different take on the same sort of hmm. thing. It's, it's sort of sufficiently, it's sufficiently different that you look at it, you go, Oh, this looks really different. Uh, whereas I think the daughters of Cain have the issue that, um, in the fiction, in the stuff that's written down in the words, they have moved them away from that old kind of tired fantasy warrior succubus thing mm. that has shows up in loads of different settings but visually mm. they are still there does that make sense yeah it does make sense but i'm always like get slightly wary when um the answer is to like not you're not saying it's talk risk it's just like you're talking about inventive different designs mm. um but often the um this boils down to like covering up female miniatures in a way that you wouldn't cover up male miniatures um in mm. similar situations and also there's the, and there is a kind of um a kind of uh I don't know, a chilling effect saying, oh, women have to be wearing certain amounts of clothes in order to not be, you know, yeah, I become think, uh, uh, troublesome or whatever. I think it just needs, I think it just needs variety. Mm. Like, I think it needs variety in the range. Like, I mean, it feels like, this is what I mean by AOS being in a position where not all the pieces are in place yet. Yeah. Like, imagine that a few years down the line, they finally really embark on free cities as a range. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, cause at the moment people are still using old empire models yeah. to kind of do their normal human factions in Age of Sigmar, mm. the free guilds and stuff like that. And those models are super old and they're based on a time when the idea of what went into Warhammer was basically like home Holy Roman empire with wizards. And it's just dudes with mustaches and it's all dudes with mustaches. And so now you've got books coming out where the free cities are full of, much more diverse casts of characters and much more diverse visually, but also the novels have pushed, you know, the you know, novels have a, a much more even uh, balance of male and female characters and leads and warriors of all kinds mm. than the model range does because the model range is still dependent on a much older range. The point where I think it becomes a misstep is if they do, you know, we're talking two years from now and there's a big exciting update to the free cities and we're mm. getting the army of, uh, you know, a uh, hammer hall. And here are all the heroes of Hammerhall. And if at that point they're still all dudes, right. I think they've, they've screwed up. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's like when you're talking about ordinary humans of different kinds, you'd want all that variety. Mm. And when hopefully you've got all that stuff, something like Daughters of Cain, you're right, can sit there as a contrast because yeah. it sits in meaningful contrast. They, there's, um, the, I think either the most recent or the second most recent, um, Malign Portent's short story has Marathi kind of walk in to a meeting in Hammerhall between all of the different kind of human leadership of Hammerhall yeah. and say, we're all going to stop arguing. I'm going to invade the realm of death. And she does stand out because she's walked in as the vampiest <laughs> right, yeah. kind of death elf, this side of Neferata, who's <laughs> the other extremely vampy mm. death lady in, in uh, Age of Sigmar. Um, and there are other female characters in that story who are presented differently and it can kind of hold together vaguely, even though it's super weird, mm. but the miniatures don't do that yet. I think that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like I want the miniatures to catch up with the fiction and, at the moment, Doctor Zakane has kind of landed like a big bomb full of like um, fetish elves in the center of in the center of a setting that was kind of just pulling itself into a different direction. Hmm. Um, so it'd be really interesting. I, like, I think it's one of those things where I completely understand people being put off by it. I just hope that eventually it, it coheres <laughs> as sense, part of a, a wider yeah, universe. I just want them to get there, basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoy- uh, one of the things I like about AOS is it shifts away from the old medieval concept of fantasy in which uh, human factions are basically feudal societies where um, empire soldiers are basically levied from communities, which is why they're all men, because they're emulating the medieval uh, form of that. Yes. And what AOS says is actually, you know, it's... It's not medieval at all if it's the opposite direction. Maybe that's an interesting way of, uh, of actually, uh, settling on this. Mm. Is that, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. Like, at the, for 
a long time, Warhammer old, the old Warhammer world's sense of what was possible hmm. was partly magic nonsense and partly history yeah. and sometimes dodgy history. Hmm. And that I think can be quite an insidious thing, particularly in fantasy storytelling, not just wargaming, fantasy storytelling is saying like, oh, it's not historically accurate to do this particular type of diversity. Sure. So we can't, mm. it's almost always nonsense for one thing, but also it really, you're writing a fantasy story. You can do what you like. Yeah. Age of Sigmar doesn't have that mm. right at the moment. It still uses big chunks of a model range that were conceived with an idea like that in mind. For sure. And yeah. so I guess that's what I'm saying. When yeah. it gets when you, when they have finally, retired the last old world miniature i would love to be left with a game that had substantial and meaningful diversity in the kinds of people and body types and etc yeah, that yeah. you can play with for sure until we get there i will give them a bit of the benefit of the doubt mm. yeah one thing i was going <laughs> so to so to bring something to the next thing so the other cool thing about the daughters of cain book is it confirms what the next elf faction is going to be oh yeah <laughs> goodness me yeah <laughs> yeah this is one little paragraph isn't it in one little bit of the law yeah and then one very crucial keyword so yeah, right yeah so um obviously there's been rumors about undersea elves for a very long time now yeah and in uh one particular paragraph of law in the daughters of cain book there's a reference to um the daughters of cain fighting a faction called the ideneth deepkin mm. um which you think, okay, there's lots of like cities and stuff that show up in lore chunks that don't actually manifest in the game. Sure. However, in the back of the Daughters of Cain book, on the uh, uh, points table, at the bottom is listed, as for any other faction would be, the list of um, uh, valid allies. Mm. And the valid allies are Stormcast Eternals, uh, Darkling Covens, Scourge Privateers, uh, Sylvaneth, and Ideneth Deepkin, <laughs> listed as a faction. Yeah, confirmed. So that's fish confirmed there. Yeah. yeah. Um, fish elves, uh, a thing. So this is one of the reasons I sort of wanted to uh, contrast this with the, because I really hope this range, which promises to be entirely new, yeah. solves all those problems I've just talked about. If you know what I mean? Sure. Like this doesn't have the excuse of like, well, this is an old kit. Mm. This is like time to get it right. Cool thing. Apparently, um, the mist weaver from, uh, silver tower, who is a super cool, yeah, uh, great, miniature. Great um, she is one of the, she is Ideneth ah, which is, because uh, they are kind of, they are sea elves, but bound to mists and water and kind of ocean phenomena. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. That's super interesting because like everyone assumed that she was kind of held up by smoke, but maybe that was actually water, water or steam, or steam yeah. you know, yeah. that's super, super cool. That's a, a fantastic model as well. I love that model. Yeah. And it's, it's because exactly we're talking about, right? Like it's some interesting variety. It's a different type of yeah, female yeah. miniature in the game and sort of sat there on the side not, without a faction to belong to, without a story to help yeah. you in that hopefully coming. If that's a, if that's the sort of visual direction that, that the Ideneth Deep going to gonna go in, then I will own an army of Ideneth Deep. I'm thinking doubt. about it as well. Yeah, Partly yeah. because, um, you know, um, it's been fun because, um, I don't think I could ever really get Pip into Warhammer, hmm. but she did paint Branch Witch once. Oh, yeah. But one thing Pip likes more than trees and bees is fish. Hmm. So, like, if there's an octopus or a turtle, uh, I think I could probably get Pip to at least paint one, which would be, Giant. which would be ready. I'd be so into Turtle like, the size of a dragon. I really don't want something to pull me into an order army or really change my shame pile, but sure. that's super tempting. I think it could do it. I mean, who knows how far away it is. I mean, it's so cool that it's confirmed. And it, um, I think that also ties into the fact that, uh, there are new elf gods from the old world in fact so yes Tyrion and Teclis uh have both ascended to godhood and it says they've been creating different versions of elves uh, yes so the so yeah. law here is that um so 
here's what happened. So <laughs> Marathi, um, so Malekith of the old world became Malerian. Mm. Um, what's really interesting is, um, watching these characters kind of change places from where they were in the old world. Right. Because obviously like Marathi is the Oracle of Cain now, mm. but Tyrion was the avatar of Cain. Um, Tyrion went completely rogue. Hmm. Tyrion was a bad guy. Malekith was a good guy. Right. So, um, but then at the end of the end times, um, when the vortex at the center of the Isle of the Dead in North One, so the, the big magic vortex that's yeah. at the center of War, Total War, Warhammer 2, et cetera, sure. when that was unbound, a bunch of things happened. Each of those winds of magic that have subsequently become the realms entered a particular person. Hmm. So, um, like it just happened that Sigmar had been trapped in Azir, the wind of Azir. Hmm for millennia anyway and he entered Carl Franz and Carl Franz became Sigma. yeah that's the only one where it's literally like someone else's identity comes in yeah the rest of them just became kind of like the manifestations of that wind of magic mm. so um Olgu the wind of shadow entered Malekith he became Illyrian and the god of shadow which he's sort of lurking in the background as mm. um Teclis who's the wizard twin of Tyrion um got um became the kind of manifestation of light Right. Um, but also I think in, in age Sigma went blind. Okay. Which might contextualize why the mystery has a full face mask. Uh, I was thinking about. Huh. Um, the sort of interesting exceptions to this are Tyrion, who became the avatar of Cain and died and Cain is dead. Mm. Um, and Marathi who just got eaten by Slanesh. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that like her kind of, Oh, and Alariel, but got the wind of life. So she became Alariel. So that's, yeah. you know, that's kind of where that came from. Hmm. Um, it's kind of interesting that, um, and then there are sort of rogue kind of like, um, I think it's, um, Ungrim, the Slayer King. Yeah. Uh, became possessed by the wind of fire. He became the kind of Akshi uh. paragon. And, um, Thorgrim, who's the grudge bearer, became the Shaman paragon. Right. So there's sort of like kind of interesting kind of things that didn't quite resolve mm. to like dwarf gods, but did for the others. And what that means is that, um, like when Tyrion and Teclis come back, they're kind of, sort of do and don't have godhood like what happens to Tyrion is really interesting because yeah. it's sort of like he completely fell off the elf wagon by the end <laughs> um yeah and then up to speed of the age of Sigmar, and this is new law is that um because we knew already that they had trapped Slaanesh mm. but the Daughters of Cain book basically explains exactly what happened which is that um um Tyrion as a god found where Slaanesh was still busy digesting all of the elf souls he ate okay. during the end times, yeah. but may have had some help finding Slaanesh from Zinch. Like, that makes sense. Be like, please eat my brother, mm. basically. Um, and they hatched a plan to, uh, all of uh, the four elf gods working together, the two dark, two light. Um, so actually not, not Alariel. So Tyrion, Teclis, Marathi mm. and Malerian. Uh, to attack Slaanesh and rescue the elves by using themselves as bait. They did that and they cast a spell that means that Slaanesh is kind of bound and draining and vomiting souls. Right. And they each take a tithe of those souls and use them to create new elves uh, in whatever image they choose. They However, Marathi corrupted the spell to give her more souls right. than she should have to make her own people and that is what is weakening Slaanesh's bindings right and that means that Slaanesh's followers are very close to finding Slaanesh which will ultimately result in mm. Slaanesh coming, coming back, back. Mm. yeah thanks Marathi not again <laughs> <laughs> not again the Warhammer, the Warhammer story, story. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, yeah. So, um, so is it a so it's a teclis joint? Yeah. So the Ideneth, so the Ideneth were Teclis's first attempt right. at creating new elves, and apparently they didn't go well. <laughs> so he just put them in the sea and then left them there. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I like the idea that um, Teclis is out there just basically inventing new model ranges. For Games mm. Workshop every few years. Oh, that's Except not he's good. blind. Yeah. Oh, what am I doing? Octopus mashing So the other thing is, Teclis is blind now, but he sees Deuterian's eyes. Oh, okay. So they are twins. That's yeah. not how twins work, but... Yeah. Warhammer twins. Warhammer twins. Um, so... So See, my... Knows where he is. So, Alariel, she's on a beetle now. Yes. Marathi, she's two modeled now. Mm. I reckon Tyrion and Teclis will be a single hero at two minutes. Uh, okay that's my other uh, mad like guess split between two. yeah like like you measure line of sight from Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be kind of amazing i mean um, I, I always associate those guys with dragons because uh high elves used to be you know uh, mm. friends with dragons but now sigmar's friends with dragons so it, the elves are free to make friends with the octopuses yeah which is it, it was interesting because i think the reason i brought up the god stuff is like techless is kind of was kind of the embodiment of highish like the, the mm. wind of light and i'm not sure where you get to light fr- how do you get to like tortoises from light yeah um yeah good point or indeed the deepest kin yeah <laughs> but maybe that's why they didn't work out why didn't they work out? Why are they still a fighting force? They just didn't, like, when they, when they, they dropped the line, they didn't work out, which is, I mean, it's not the exact line, but it's pretty much what they say. Yeah. It's like, I think of like a, the fly situation where the Teclis has just sort of mashed an elf into a bit of turtle and thought, <laughs> oh, that's not gone well. <laughs> it's already worked. So the rumor is that they will have a kind of like Atlantean that makes kind sense. of vibe, yeah, which would be super sense. cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, so I have this real sneaking suspicion that in the, well, as we're recording this podcast, it's being announced right now. Mm. Cause I think everyone expected this to get announced at the open day. Yeah. Okay. Cause the book comes out. The book was due to come out the same day as the open day. Oh, so really? it would all kind of fit Oh, together. no way. That would be, that would have been such a big drop as well. Yeah. That'd be great. So I appreciate that by the time we get this pod up, maybe it'll all be, you'll know, everything. Yeah. So maybe we shouldn't dwell on it too much. Maybe it's the next month thing, but nonetheless, it is cool. And it's nice to see that like, um, this seems to suggest that ultimately we'll get a range for every elf god, mm. right? Maybe yeah, yeah, Tyrion yeah. and Teclis is a combined thing because, mm. but it also means that there's Malerian to come as well. So there's a different form of sort of shadow elf. Yeah. I'd prefer that to, um, high dark wood <laughs> as, yes. as a way of divvying but up all elves. of the elements, uh, high yeah. dark and wood, <laughs> <laughs> three elements from which everything is made. Uh, but also I, I like the idea that the, the gods personalities drives the personality of the faction rather than mm. just high elves being the posh elves and dark elves being the sexy elves and wood elves being the hippie elves you know it's a bit more yes yes totally and those having kind of like inherent alignments like you don't mm. oh you might get a scary murder hippie or you might get a lovely hippie <laughs> but mostly <laughs> you know sex is scary and, yeah. but everyone loves ah, big hats <laughs> and like i'm not sure what high elves really are no about, other than big hats uh aloof big hats i suppose one of the arguments is that they do um stem off like something like the lothan sea guard like there is a high elf tradition of like oh yeah aquatic units that's true there's also um who is the character end times ailing i think is like Mm. the high elf kind of sea captain right who can like summon monsters out of the deep oh cool like merworms and those kinds of things (laughs) so that always has been there in the high elf Mm. Thing. It's a bit like anything else. It's right. Like one dwarf happens to own a little helicopter and now there's an entire ring dedicated <laughs> to that. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah, it is. Um, and like, I also kind of like the idea that, um, one of the big themes that's emerging of Age of Sigmar is like the Stormcast or what happens when Sigmar goes and makes his own army. Mm. Um, but like that's happening more and more. So you have like what happens when Grimnir makes his own mm. force? What happens when Grungni makes his own force? What happens when 
um, Alariel rebuilds her people and, and now Marathi and then, and yeah, so on and so yeah. on. That means it, there's sort of a neat mirror there to like, the fiction starting to match the actual processes of the hobby a little bit more. Mm. That you joke about Teclas going off and inventing new model ranges, but yeah. actually that's kind of what the fiction's about now. Yeah. It's like gods who kind of like craft armies in their own images and mm. then send them after people, which is not the most elegant analogy for painting plastic men, but like yeah. it's more, you know, it's, it's getting, it's closer to sort of the, the reality of the game rather than this sort of like quasi historical yeah setting the pattern of the releases fixes uh, fit, fits with the the, the storyline of what's actually happening yes exactly yeah. yeah neat that's a lot of news what have you been up to this month uh, i haven't actually painted anything new really uh, mm. i've painted another unit of uh judicators which are the archers for the stormcast Eternals. that is something new that is something new, i suppose what well, i've painted them before yeah. and stormcast you know once you know how to do a stormcast you sorted which is one of the good things about the range and why they're a good intro to the or Hammer Age of Sigma mm. uh, universe. Uh, the gold is going well. Uh, I got some skulls from a, a basing kit, one of the Warhammer 40,000 base uh, mm. kits comes with loads of like 36 skulls, though I think Games Workshop actually do finally do a dedicated box. They do a box of skulls, of skulls yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they do that now, which is good. Uh, so they went well. Actually, I should always have had two units of adjudicators in uh, Stormcast Army because mm. they're just so good. In a 2,000 point army, probably should always have a couple of units of cases uh so i'm finally kind of up to strength in that regard for the range potential of stormcast uh, which is going to have interesting knock-on effects on my games and the reason i put those together and painted them up is because i'm going to this doubles tournament towards the end of the month and uh, i'm running it with chimp who's playing uh, undead and of course he's benefited from the legion of nagash book that just came out uh, which we haven't talked about much this month because i'm going to know a lot more about it next month we can right. kind of dig yeah. into it then um but that's got lots of uh it, the kind of the Mortarks um, each have their own kind of allegiance abilities now. Mm. So depending on whether you know you're, which one of Nagash's lieutenants you choose to lead your army, you get new rules and new kind of synergies between uh, the existing undead units. Uh, but the thing is, undead still can't shoot anything; <laughs> they still have no ranged. So um, looking at a kind of one thousand point army, which has lots of ranged, a couple of units of adjudicators that fulfills my battle line requirement, but also gives our army the ability to reach out and kill wizards, basically, <laughs> or kill you know heroes or things that are going to cause problems. Why? <laughs> what do they do to you? Um, so you know, I mean, I, they could bring down a lot of change in, uh, over the course of a few turns yeah. quite happily. Um, and that kind of ability, I think you just have to have it in your army if you're going to go into a lot of different competitive. Uh, contexts uh the, the question is like what else to take i've got to take formulators because they're so good can't leave them off uh they're just like de- devastating um but then you know a thousand points starts to go really really quickly mm. and so actually i'm not going to take tantris probably because that's like a couple hundred points you can just pull back and put into other stuff mm. um so i've experimented jim and i've done some like test games so i experimented with running like two formulators and a unit of five retributors and a Lord Castellant, which can put a buff on either one of the two to give them plus one save and help them heal themselves back up and stuff. Mm. Um, and, you know, the Castellant's actually quite good in his own right. He's yes, he good, is. Good yeah. in combat. He's, um, he can use his lantern on Chaos to deal, like, mortal wounds as well if he chooses to. He's a lot better than the Chaos Sorcerer Lord he used to be. <laughs> he is. <laughs> He's had an upgrade, thank God save Sigma. Um, but then there's kind of like a few hundred points left over and that's the hardest part to spend in this building for a thousand points because liberators you think well they, they're fine but are they going to go and kill stuff no not really they can sit on points but they're quite slow I and mean, they're five mm. inches they're not terribly slow but you know it's, it's going to be difficult for them to get around the battlefield really um 
so um currently thinking about taking the celeste prime in a 1000 point yeah. list uh for lots of different reasons uh he's very very squishy i don't think he's going to survive very much uh, but he can get a guaranteed charge like a turn three or four and he's got one of the best weapons in the game or against certain armies you can bring him down in turn one and his meteor strike does guaranteed mortal wounds in area of effects wherever you want on the battlefield it's like a limited range unlimited range attack uh so he's he's got all that going for him even though he's like got eight wounds um and he's not going to live he's just really fun to push around and there's probably an outside chance we might get a painting nomination for him yeah if there is that, yeah, that kind you, of thing yeah. uh so uh, for all those reasons uh i've basically decided that probably i'm going to take him uh, also just for the fact uh, the fun factor i don't think you see many celestial primes in competitive play really because they're they die so easily um and apart from that i've mostly been touching up the stuff i'm going to take so now i've kind of roughly vaguely decided on the army just gone back and done some finished off some highlighting on the formulators based up a load of people properly uh so get everyone from consistently based and put more tufts on put some slate on uh use some of my Warsaw rock salt as well put that and that on some of the bases just to get it all looking nice and kind of tournament ready and i found that having a tourney to go to has actually been an awesome incentive to go back over my old stuff and kind of get it mm-hmm. even more consistent to put even more effort in because as soon as you know that like those people are going to be looking at it this is a, it's a point of pride to make it good it's totally worth it for the moment where someone goes that looks quite nice <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, totally, you very rarely get more than yeah, that not it's more like an outpouring hmm, it? Ooh, that's, yeah. yeah that's good yeah definitely no and i like the like it, it definitely helps like they cohere a lot better now that they've been so just touched up that little bit more and like mm. basically makes such a big difference it really really does and also the, i've changed technique for gold over the course of the army mm. and uh you can tell like the side by side the old judicators the new judicators like it, it is quite clear that the new ones are better and partly that's because of the reichland gloss reichland flesh shade gloss uh, yes which is just very, very good for creating incredibly shiny Stormcast. Um, and also uh, using a bit of Agrax around deeper crevices. Mm. Uh, so in kind of six packs that they... <laughs> you have to question the warrior that carves a six pack into his own armour. <laughs> uh, but that's what the Stormcast do. And uh, they, so yeah, it's getting Agrax into the cracks there and around certain rivets. And all of that contributes to... Uh, nothing you'd notice like necessarily, but it creates a sense of depth that is just instinctively mm. observed. Like As soon as you look at it, it just goes, ooh it looks sparkly and nice and and i think that might look nice in the cabinet or something or look nice yeah, under yeah. the warhammer world's lights uh and so i'm just thinking about that really at the moment yeah and, and rightly so i think it'd be really cool yeah i think it's gonna be really nice and it's gonna be fun to, one of the great things about doubles is that, that it, there are no kind of you can ally with people from different uh you know order can ally with death death can ally with chaos um so having like my completely shiny goldy men next to chimps uh like rag and bone skelly skeleton hordes is going to be just a, a fun contrast on the battlefield to look at yeah that is great yeah that's super cool and he's probably going to take a zombie dragon as well so that'd be good yeah zombie dragon prime one two punch <laughs> <laughs> we need to come up with a like a puntastic uh name for our doubles army that's that's a tradition mm. uh, so yeah we're gonna work on that i think well i mean technically it's doncaster are undead oh well, that's the thing i mean there's got to be a joke around that yeah all those sides aren't there uh Hmm. Mm. Probably not yeah. something to workshop right now. No, could quite right. But, but yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what that's what we're working on. But yeah, how about you? I think you've you've, you've had one main project. Yeah. So like, I've had a bit of a sort of um, like I've done um, some uh, X wing, which has been fun, and done some other sort of stuff. And but I've had for various reasons um, quite a kind of disruptive month. Um, some work related and some not. And that's sort of I've slowed down a bit on what was initially in January like a big 
um, push on batch painting. Mm. So I'm actually getting pretty close to finishing my corn start collecting box and make quite a lot of progress with them, but like just not the final hurdle. Just like, you know, sometimes it just, you know, you know, you need an afternoon. Sure. Like Mm. more like two afternoons in a row and this hasn't happened. Is it a bunch of boring bits you've left to the end as well? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I it's sort sort of like there's some good and some bad. So like, I've got a kit bash sort of priest who's yet to finish. Um, I've I've like made quite a lot of progress with the the blood crushers. Mm. Uh, that they're the kind of juggernaut mounted yeah. corn people. They're quite huge, and um, they're coming together quite nicely. One of them is basically finished. Um, the rest of them are very close. Um, and so they'll probably be ready for next month's battle. Or what I was gonna if we played skirmish today, I was gonna use one of them in my in my oh, cool, yeah. bolstered skirmish force, but um. So I sort of, I've stuck to my guns when it comes to like the minimum I want to get done, but like just on the edge of it. And then coming into the next couple of weeks, regardless of how many, uh, squid elves there happen to be, <laughs> I will double down on, on Zangor because mm. uh, London GT in, in May is, is that's the deadline for that big block of 30 Zangor. They will be ready. In fact, there'll be more than that. I'm going to do acolytes as well. So cool. that's when mortals each will be done. Yeah. It's May. So that's kind of the, yeah, idea. that's cool. That's and good that's, to have that deadline. And that'll give you and I a different kind of army to oh, yeah, throw at each other as well. Yeah. Um, with all that in mind, um, the, the, and then there's obviously the chase by warbands and stuff. The, um, the model I spent the, the time on when I could paint this month has been my Dark Oath War Queen, mm. who I am like pretty happy with. Yeah. Like I think there are things about her that it's like I am happier with than I have ever done on a model. And there are things that I want to touch up. So like I've put pictures on, on my Instagram and stuff already. I'm going to do some more. I think I'm going to spend a little bit more time on her because I want to touch up some of the edge highlighting on her shield and things. Mm. But, um, I guess the main thing about that model, cause it's not a huge model is I just wanted to spend, um, I wanted to get every aspect of it, I think to my current skill cap. Does that make sense? Yeah. That makes like sense. I wanted to execute every part of it as like, this is about as good as I can do at the moment. Mm. And that's good for knowing kind of where you are at yeah. in terms of, um, placing your ability and, um, because you like with anything difficult, you go through plateaus. Mm. So the thing for her has been really thinking a lot about materials and how to execute those materials and reading around it. And like, yeah. I find the golden demon pages in white dwarf very helpful, even though I can't paint to that standard. Mm. There is always something about how someone's achieved a particular texture, or a particular effect that I find really, really helpful. So I wanted, I wanted her to have, uh, to be a model where every material looks right like nothing is sort of and also i've spent a little bit more time on everything to make sure bring out sort of detail so in terms of techniques what this has meant is like i've gotten a lot more comfortable using lamy and medium to create glazes and Mm. washes and things like using a lot of agrax washes and recesses like you've said to to kind of try and bring things forward yeah like try and create um more interesting tones um also uh, like just all, like taking advantage of the fact that I use a wet palette to, to all, basically always be mixing paint. Yeah. Like um, very rarely am I not mixing now um, in terms of what well, on a, basically I only do out of the pot tones on line troops. Yeah. If that makes sense. That Cause that's a time saving thing. Yeah. But, sure. But like for these hero models, I really want to like properly, like actually think about the color I'm going for and the shades and things. Um, and I think with her, I also, in addition to the texture stuff, I also got a lot more confident, um, with quite harsh highlights, like going brighter with highlights than I traditionally do. Mm. And I found it really helpful to use, I, I've gotten braver about using white as a, I, either like an ultimate highlight color mm. or as a, um, to mix with other colors, but also about understanding that actually the, the, the kind of 
the optimal highlight for a lot of different surfaces, particularly any kind of reflective or shiny material, is a little bone wink. It's a little right. a little blink of like bright cream. Mm. It's kind of like because that's usually the color of light, basically, mm. and that really can kind of help kind of pull certain colors and textures up. And I haven't done it perfectly on this model by any means, yeah. but I've gotten braver about like putting big highlights in places, and that's been um cool um i spent a lot of time uh because i wanted to give her glass weaponry or crystal mm. weaponry because i kind of wanted it to allude to like zinch's crystal labyrinth because i wanted her to feel like she doesn't belong to a particular chaos god but i wanted elements of zinch and elements of corn so just the warrior nature gets you corn yeah and the fur coat and the leather cape and stuff like that um but zinch is a little bit harder so i don't feel like glass but also or crystal it could be shade glass that kind of thing and that was done using almost entirely glazes and like basically like in the olden days, I would have tried to figure out how to do that with like four different GW paints. Mm. Like this is, I don't know, Incubi Darkness into Dark Reaper into Thunderhawk Blue and something else. And that, those, that effect on that model is just uh, Incubi Darkness, Thousand Suns Blue and White, like everything. And then Lamia Medium. Mm. And it's just those things in different combinations until I got the effect I wanted. Yeah. So that's been, that's worked, which is nice. Mm. And it feels like, getting more confident using just the paints I actually need rather than like that kind of base layer highlight thing, which is super useful when people get back into painting. I yeah, tell them to do it that way. Yeah. But it's like the training wheels coming off and being able to go like, I'm just going to do this. And then what's left is sort of technical execution. Yeah. Like learning to see like a better painter than I actually am, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I, I couldn't go back from a wet palette now. I've just got like a hacked together wet palette, which is just, you know, a piece of tea towel uh, with some like, baking paper on it in a in a tupperware pot like it's so lo-fi it looks ridiculous yeah um but it's it does just it changes the way you paint and it saves you so much paint and you can mix stuff so easily and not you know lose it within minutes yeah it's yeah. just it's just essential for me personally yeah the walking is definitely like the first miniature i've painted almost entirely with an artificer brush mm. with the exception of some some base coating yeah um trying to think if there's anything that's sort of tips wise so Cheeky bone winks. Yep. That's, that's tip one. How about, um, how do you do your leather? That's always tricky. Leather. So, um, there's two kinds of leather. There's four, actually, there's three kinds of leather and cloth on that miniature. Mm. Cause I wanted the inside of her cape to look more like hemp or like linen or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I nicked this technique from that, from the most recent issue of White Dwarf in the Golden Demon section. Cause mm. someone did a really nice dirty cape on Cypher and some fallen dark angels. Right. And so the way that is done is something that I would never have considered doing because it seems like bad painting until you get it right, which is um, even though the goal is a kind of uh, cream linen, you basically go to black and then uh, watered down thin coats of Zandri dust, right. leaving black in the crevices, which creates a kind of thin looking kind of dirty okay. cream, which is like... You think about when you start painting as a kid and you spray everything black and then you apply too thin, you apply a coat that's too thin and you can still see the black undercoat through it. It looks terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's basically that, uh, okay. but applied with a level of care that makes it not totally garbage. <laughs> it took a while. Yeah, and then there's yeah. like, um, applying the little hashing, like really thin hashes of the medium tone, which allows you to get that kind of sense of texture. Hmm. And then lots of washes, um, to kind of like, um, pull deep shadows down at the bottom of the cape. So it looks like it's been dirty and it's like you're dragging in something. Gotcha. Yeah. So, that's that's that texture um brown leather i do um it's really worth looking at reference pictures how leather actually ages because mm. leather tends to go dark in like 
central bands and then light in almost like strips and then it gets like kind of like where it's cracked and stuff so that's yeah. quite hard to do it's not just as simple well you can do it as simply as like dark in the middle light at the sides but if you actually look at how leather ages it often gets dark and kind of like almost goes flat and like less reflective where it's aged okay so looking at that and then for the black leather um which is quite a lot of her cape on the back um it's about just being really brave with the highlights because um i always mix like a even though it's black leather don't paint it black mm. weirdly the beige is on a black base coat mm. and the black is on a gray base coat okay so that black is like a mixture of skaven blight dinge and abaddon black right and then it's very dark brown um well Ab- right. skaven blight dinge is very dark brownie gray okay it's very gray like mm. it's much closer to gray than brown but right. it's browner than mechanicus because it's like there's two different kinds of gray. There's like the blue gray and the brown gray. Yeah. And Scaven Blight is on the brown gray side and Mechanicus is on the blue gray side. Right. And, but they're very similar otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Abbott and Black and Lamian Medium in the, in the recesses and then just building it up almost all the way to white on the highlights. And so the very high, the very harshest highlights, almost like little bits of almost, almost pure white mm. with a little bit of bone. So it, does that just imply a little bit of reflectiveness? Yeah, because if you look at a leather coat in it real does life, reflect, yeah. like, you know, if you actually stop and not think about what you're seeing as light moving, but actually just the color that you're seeing, mm. it's often almost white, mm. like in terms of how much, how reflective it is. Yeah. And that takes like, if you get that wrong, it looks terrible. It looks stripey, right? <laughs> yeah, it looks like you've got yeah. stripes. But like, or, like if if you get it right, then the effect can be quite nice. Mm. So that's kind of sweet. That's yeah. awesome. About um, flesh, that's uh seems to be a thing that Yeah, it's the same technique that I talked about a couple of pods ago, I think. Sure. Which is the um no uh no 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 or anything, just um uh her skin is, if people are interested, is Gorthor Brown and then a glaze of Gorthor Brown and Corn Red mix, and then a gaze a glaze in the shadowy recesses of Gorthor Brown and Black, mm. and then highlight back up to Gorthor Brown, then Gorthor Brown plus white. Um, to kind of pull out a little bit more. And then, um, a few sort of selective things. So Gothel Brown and Druchy Violet Purple Wash. Oh, yeah. In her, uh, eyes. Mm. Um, which, you know, she, it looks like she has eyeshadow, but I wanted that effect of like sort of dark or sunken eyes. Um, and then yeah. obviously picking out the eyes, uh, with white. I'm quite pleased with how her eyes turned out actually. Like, mm. that she kind of has this kind of mad stare, which I wanted. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then it's just highlighting like, um, I, I don't, I don't do super high contrast skin, although I've noticed that a lot of like really, really well painted models have like, um, pretty high contrast skin. I want to try and experiment with that. Yeah. Cause my instinct has been like, cause again, it's the materials thing. Skin doesn't tend to be super high contrast, mm. but with miniatures, it tends to pop better if it is. So yeah, like realistic materials wise, I don't think you would do skin that high contrast compared mm. to leather or, mm. or metal or something. But there's definitely a temptation in miniatures painting to paint skin with that same kind of structure where it's super poppy yeah even though in real life skin is actually one of the more matte mm. kind of textures yeah, interesting unless you are very 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 soggy <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's um there's an extraordinary golden demon winning magnus uh, mm. uh that's uh, obviously he's bright red <laughs> but yeah. the skin work on that is unbelievable and also the um the glow effect that they get into the hand which also which makes the hand look translucent as though the light is coming from inside it is insane it's insane yeah it's just that's insane. like that's the tier of like you can look at it and go like can't do that no but there's sometimes when you look at those models there are sometimes little things mm. you can take a pointer from yeah and it brings you up like five percent you still mm. know any other thing but it's like you, you take some uh, yeah you take some instruction from it yeah i think the big part of it is being content with what 
applying their techniques to your stuff does rather than being disappointed that it doesn't immediately turn your stuff into theirs, sure, if that sure. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's extraordinary. That's one of the um, best Gordon Demon entries I've seen. I think yeah. one I've just gone, wow, that is next level. When I was still planning to go up to Warm World, I was actually thinking about putting my War Queen or my maybe my Chieftain into the Golden Demon AOS, not because I have no hope. Like, I have literally no hope or aspiration or expectation of second round podium at all. Mm. Um, but it would be really good to get feedback. Yeah. Although I suspect the feedback would simply be improve every single aspect. Of <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, like, but it would be, you know, so it'd be more just going in in the hopes that someone says, this is a thing you could focus on. Yeah. Like, that'd be interesting. Thing, right? yeah. Um, but it was funny when the Golden Demon got cancelled, a lot of people I follow on Instagram, uh, for miniature stuff all posted their entries because it's like, well, uh, I've got yeah. a few more weeks to work on this. And I sat there going like, oh, I shit. was right not to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What was some of the best stuff you've seen? Just, I mean, just extraordinary. Like, yeah. you, there's a level of, um, just execution. Like, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. It's yeah. just, like, you can have all the best ideas and understand how you're doing stuff, but like, um, and you know, I, I, I like, you know, I'm, I'm like improving and, and it's nice sort of trying to, trying to, like, challenge myself to get ahead and stay ahead. Um, I, Bath Games Workshop has just started doing monthly painting competitions oh, and I really cool. won the first one, which was really nice. Yeah, nice. So it's like, that's cool. I'm going to try and keep doing that, but it's like, there's a jump between store level and like maybe even winning best army at an event. Yeah. I'd love to be able to do. And that's like, yeah, yeah. I find that, um, this stuff I know I'd let, let me down, not even the painting actually, which would, but the, it's like just cleaning up models. I, mm. I'm terrible at that, but not because like it's hard, it's because it's boring and I'm really yeah. not well disciplined. So I, I always miss seam lines. I, there's always bits of, you know, stuff I haven't cleaned up correctly or filed, you know. Yeah, I try and get that stuff, but like I try and get it to stuff to an extent that makes sense to me. Yeah. Like I've, I've definitely gone for it on some models and, and not on others. But an entire army of that, you know, that level of precision. That's what you need to get an army, uh, army painting nomination or award. You need, everything needs to be flawless, no seam lines anywhere, you know. It's just the level of effort that, you know, yeah. I'm happy to not put into. <laughs> honest, yeah. As long as I'm happy with the army, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I love seeing beautifully produced armies like that as well. And I think actually, I think, I think some worrying about mold lines and seams and stuff can be a little bit overstated. Mm. Um, but it depends on the exact context. Like if you're going for one model that's going to be going into Golden Demon, it's going to be photographed from every sure. conceivable angle, then yeah, you yeah, need to yeah. get it perfect. Maybe best army, maybe you don't. Like just because obviously best army is often the effect of the whole army when yeah, you do group and like unless your Celestin Prime's got a big piece of sprue sticking out of his forehead, then you know, <laughs> you're probably going to be okay if you missed a bit. No, I mean what, I'm definitely going to have to paint the underside of the orrery, which I've not done. <laughs> that is so that the wet blend is on the underside of the orrery, but I was planning to paint it before I actually went out there. But you know, right. someone's going to turn it upside down, aren't they? <laughs> actually, so uh, I don't know how it'll work at Warhammer World, but like best army votes when I've seen it is like. Well, one time I've done it, it was a blackout. Mm. And there, uh, some judges came around and kind of like tapped every army they wanted to include. Oh, yeah. And then the rest of them just sat on display boards and people just peered at them. No one touches anything. <laughs> right, right. Because I don't think anyone would want people like touching and turning. Yeah, of course. Stuff, I, I was wondering so. if judges might or, or something. You know, maybe, but maybe. But like, I think for my own peace of mind, I'll do it. Yeah, if you've got time. pure laziness. <laughs> I didn't do it the first time. Oh, yeah. Time. I mean, don't, don't be like, I want, you know, don't complain if you don't win after you have it rather <laughs> doing that. But oh, yeah. no, they turn it upside down. The one thing I wasn't expecting them to do. Yeah. Uh, yes, but, um, yeah, I think I'd like to get back into the swing of things and try and get a bit, bunch more done. I think, um, it'd be nice to, it'd be nice to get in some ways back to batch painting after quite so much detail because mm. it's like we've been along. Yeah. Really focusing down into one thing. No, yeah. Just like, and it's like, actually, this, this is good enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. My next big thing is going to be the Vanguard Paladors. 
Um, so I'm going to have to I'll do some mad experiments on Griffhounds to see if I can nail, pin down the technique I want to use for the birds before I actually like yeah, yeah. dive into that. Um, there's some really nice ideas I've seen. Instagram's brilliant for miniature stuff, by the way. It's really good, yeah. Really, really strong. Uh, Twitter's quite good as well, but Instagram is the best. So I've seen some good ideas on there for potential first schemes. I might do a little bit of train because I'm going to pick up oh, the... Yeah, um, it's actually a, a new thing, not to return to the internal news section, but um, next week they're bringing out the the uh so they did that uh, moon bla- moon base crisis thing for 40k mm. which is like a um a terrain board made of card like folding card um with the rise of ruins on it and i got the rise of ruins separately yeah we did them for last 40k game we played um but they're putting out some basically generic wall pieces for age of sigma that look quite nice yeah uh, which would be a cool thing to have but also, actually, I'm going to get it because that um, folding card board actually seems like it could be super useful. Because mm. so it's a fifty quid box, so it's the train pieces plus the cardboard. Um, hopefully, the cardboard is reasonably high quality. I'm hoping it's sort of close to what the Shadespire boards are like. Yeah. But actually, it's a pretty big. It's like close to six foot by four foot. Really? Yeah. Uh, um, cool. It's it's not quite, but actually, not being not quite means it will fit on my IKEA table with yeah. its highly European centimeter measurements rather than Games Workshop feet and inches. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that's super cool about it is on one side, it's a sort of uh, like a ruined temple with a kind of overgrown kind of stonework kind of thing. It could be realm of life, could be realm of beasts, could yeah. really be realm of anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but the other side is a volcanic Akshi landscape. Mm. And the neat thing about that is obviously eventually I'll finish my terrain board. But obviously I've gone for my realm of metal kind of dark blue yeah. thing. And it'd be really nice, I think, for us to have something to play on that isn't isn't dark blue so yeah. you have some a volcanic landscape and a forest which mm. would be kind of neat for yeah that's different pretty kinds good. Of battles. So, yeah that'd be nice uh, i'm gonna pick that up but also i'm just gonna dry brush the shit out of some stonework yeah that is the opposite <laughs> of what i've been doing yeah, yeah i've got uh um uh, a big train piece to paint actually uh not the numinous oculum that's the one with the big round bit on that i've got it's the, it's the archway, Ophidian uh, the archway, Ophidian archway, which I've built to be quite a wide piece, and mm. uh, yeah, it's gonna that should be a quite nice big new structure for us to use in our games. Cool, yeah, that's exciting. Mm. Looking forward to that. Let's talk about the battle we played. Talk about war, Chris. It's war. <laughs> it's war. Here with her face in the war pipe, Susanna Geckelroyd. <laughs> um, that's yeah. That's probably going to bounce off a decent proportion of this audience. And when was Chris Morris on television last? Uh, it was years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, yeah, so we played a game with basically as many of the Malign Portance rules piled onto it. There are so many. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think we did, relative to our normal track record, a pretty good job of staying on top of most of them, actually. Yeah, some busy hero faces. And uh, I think we I think we're almost, most things right. I think. Yeah. And, and it was interesting for us both to have almost equally busy hero phases. <laughs> That's true. Than it just being like the Chris hour and then, and then also we continue. Yeah. So, um, so yes, to kind of continue the thread we, we started earlier, we, you know, set, set this battle sort of, uh, concurrent with the malign portents plot. Mm. The idea that Tantris and your particular part of the Hammers of Sigma have been kind of dispatched to track down this, uh, missing, uh, Vanguard, Vanguard, uh, Prime, I think, or Knight. So, I think it's a Vanguard, it's Vanguard, was it Hunter? It's one of, it's a Vanguard leader, basically. Yeah. Um, and in doing so, has found themselves ambushed by a, uh, force, a, a, a Zinchian demonic force, uh, centered around the Changeling, who of course was that Prime. Mm. Um, but led by a, 
um, Dark Oath War Queen with a particular um, sort of um, pact with Zinch. So my War Queen, I sort of see as um, she is a survivor by nature more than anything else. Mm. Her, her, her pact with the Chaos Gods is more about um, sort of uh, her own maybe ascent to power but mostly her own ability to kind of survive and um sort of um, you know see another day in a world that is extremely extremely hostile like mm-hmm. i kind of wanted the idea of like what's a war queen like from um the realm of metal where people are very changeable but also um it's run by chaos right so the notion plot notion that she um she's both kind of like mercurial in her aspect because that's well metal mm. but also that means that sort of manifests as her willingness to kind of uh lie and deceive and and cheat and kind of uh gamble mm. to survive she's got hustle basically yeah sort of like um a, a little bit different to the kind of heroes i've had in my armies previously mm. but that manifests in this particular circumstance as a kind of compact with the changer um and in this instance, what she's undergoing is a kind of test. Mm. It's, um, waylay and, and, um, annihilate this, uh, you know, um, stormcast force that isn't expecting an ambush. Um, you know, Zinch provides the demons alongside a gaunt summoner, you know, so the gaunt summoner is the kind of the, 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 uh, sort of mouthpiece of Zinch here, right? Mm. Like, um, but it's her and her ally and the Dark Earth Chieftain that are, it's sort of on them to kind of prove, prove themselves in this kind of mad kind of crucible. Yeah. So the Dark Earth War, Dark Earth War Queens are supposed to be like incredibly charismatic leaders. They're very capable of whipping yeah. up mortals into huge uh, armies in support of chaos, but it feels like she's yet to do that, but perhaps yes, she's moved she, on to do that. I would like her to eventually get her army, yeah. um, which may even include quite a lot of corn stuff as well. It's right. just that like, she's sort of, um, yeah, she's a, she's in training. She, well, she's also a liar. That's kind of the thing I kind of wanted to mm. like, that's the thing that makes her a Zinchi Dark Earth War Queen. The one, yeah. the one in the book, the one in the kind of official law is very much more corn aligned. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's sure. her, char- her charisma manifests as kind of like martial prowess. Mm. Her form of charisma is like, I decapitated your former boss and I'm your boss now. <laughs> she bests champions and yeah. impresses. Yeah. Whereas it's not to say that, um, you know, mine is a slouch in combat, mm. but that she's the zinchi aspect of her is, is the deception. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's like if, it, if, if a lie gets you what you want faster, that's better than so having like, to duel everybody you meet. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like she'd get mortals on side by promising them what they secretly really want and I think lying about. Maybe like, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, like I don't see her like, yeah, I don't want to get into character study too much, but like I, I sort of, it's more like, um, she's almost also, also lying to the gods. That's the other thing. It's right. Like she'll make a compact with any chaos god. Yeah. Just to, to get survive. what she needs in the, in yeah. the moment. Right. Yeah. Like, so it's almost like an unstable gamble. It's like mm. eventually it'll catch up to her, but she's sort of running ahead of it. That's really like cool. Thelma and Louise of, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's got her own partner as well who, uh, well, yeah. The partner um, is uh, overstating it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Battery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. So, um, and this is some like, I, I basically, um, I sort of, I've, I've been thinking a lot about my, some of all these ideas that come from, I've been thinking a lot about my black library submission yeah. as I've been painting this month. Hmm. So some of those characters have kind of come out around that. Like I haven't quite decided if 
my war queen is a character that I'd quite like to write in my black library submission, yeah. but she might be, mm. she might be the future version of a character I've been thinking about. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so, um, and the scenario we chose to play, it, this fits really well with, uh, one of the new scenarios from the My Importance book, which is called Blood Moon Rising, which has an invading army ambushed on two sides by a defending army. Mm. Um, just a fight to the death, a five round fight to the death with some interesting modifiers. So, um, the ambushing force, in which case my demons gets to reroll ones to hit in melee combat, which is an interesting rule to add. Um, you as the defender gain an addition, you get to add the number of rounds that have been completed to your bravery every turn. Yeah. Which is potent would some armies is good. I think, I think there's a scenario where it's good for Stormcast if you, for whatever reason, mm. lose the bravery bubble. Yeah. Which so could happen. Tantris dies or you don't take Tantris, you take someone else and then you, you don't have the, the immune to battle shock. And then, you know, you Stormcast have like six or seven bravery. They're not massive. So mm. going up to 10 bravery is quite useful. And also a, a loss to bravery is very bad for Stormcast because the, each individual. Yes soldier is worth a lot more points and is worth a lot more power i think this all basically like it protects you from from bravery in the second half of the game which is potentially really useful yeah as well that's true because, because that's when you're getting battered right yeah, <laughs> yeah when you're getting battered when you've lost those heroes that are protecting you yes. in a bunch of different ways mm. um we also so we also use that system we um used all of the new realm of death rules mm. so that includes um new command abilities which we'll get to uh the death effect table which we'll get to which means that something happens in the hero phase based on the number of things that died in the previous turn yes that the sort of stuff simply dying in the realm of death causes chaos not as in like capital, capital c, c chaos yeah just occur on the battlefield more death and weird stuff happens yeah and then we also rolled for a a, a, a board wide terrain effect mm. so as well as the terrain effects for individual pieces of terrain and the one we got was i think life sapping battlefield yes which meant that in everyone's, in each of our hero phases, we roll a dice, and if we roll a six, then we can choose to deal D three mortal wounds to any enemy unit we want, mm. because the the world itself is like sapping the life force out of randos, <laughs> out of people on the battlefield. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in addition to this, we also used the headline feature from my importance, which is the portent system. Mm. It's like a card game that kind of sits on top of the the battlefields and you get a you pick a kind of specialty a type of portent or a kind like of a sign you're choosing to interpret yeah that's right and then uh, that gives you a hand of uh cards and each turn you generate a certain number of points and those points go away at the end of that turn but you can choose to spend those points uh deploying these portent cards in various phases to achieve strange effects and you know yeah and we'll get yeah, to some, like some a magic system work. on top yes, of the magic system really it is and the amount of points you get is, um, obviously you don't keep them between turns, so you have to roll a dice and kind of get your point stock for that round. Yeah. Um, it is, use, it's a d6, and then you apply lots of different modifiers to it. So we each get a flat plus three because the battle's taking place in the realm of death, mm. where the magic is stronger. Um, we each get, um, and then you add, an extra one for every wizard or priest in your army. And my army's packed with wizards. Sure. So that I got lots from that. Yeah. Um, I was adding three every time because I had a harbinger. My general's a harbinger. So she adds three by herself. Mm. And, but you also gain the benefit of the, um, the scenario, mm. which gave you the idea is that as the scenario, um, goes on, the blood moon is kind of waxing in the sky. Yeah. So, um, on the first round, you get an extra, 
point, um, prophecy point. On the second round, you get D3. Mm. On the third round, you get D6. And then it goes back to D3 and back to one. So mm. it kind of gets stronger and weaker. Yeah. So I, I quite like the way the scenario creates a kind of ebbing power level. Yeah, different power arcs for both factions. Yeah. Um, although actually, despite, and that actually was also kind of nice because it meant that the amount of extra points I was getting from the Harbinger and all my wizards was somewhat counted out by the mm. amount of bonus points you were getting. Like we were never in, ended up in a situation where either of us were like notably further ahead or behind or couldn't no. do something we wanted to be able to do. We were, we were most able to cast pretty much everything we wanted. I think it was quite a high important point scenario yes. for both of us, uh, which was fun. Yes. Yeah. We were, we were portenting it up. Um, so, and the, also the, the final interesting thing about the setup was deployment. Mm. So I had to deploy in two bands either side of the board or you in the middle. But the way it worked is I set up half my army in one of those bands. Then you set up your entire army. And then I set up the rest of my army. Mm. And so my first one was a little bit cagey. What I did with my first deployment is I split off all of my fastest stuff. So my screamers, my chariot, my herald on disc, along with the changeling who can redeploy. So his deployment doesn't really matter. Yeah. And one unit of pink horrors and put them on one side position so that I could basically catch you wherever you chose to go. Cause mm. I had no idea. And because everything's got like a 16 or a 14 inch move, it's like, I'll get, you know what I mean? They'll, sure. they'll get there. Yeah. What was, you formed a really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I had like a, we sort of adapted the measurements slightly to fit a four foot by four foot board. <clears throat> so I had like a, a nine inch wide, uh, strip down the center of the board where I could deploy. And I sort of, um, I decided to employ all of my forces in a kind of marching formation at the hard edge of one of the, one of the, you know, the board edges basically, instead of just putting them in the middle where they could be surrounded, you know, randomly. Um, I decided to form, uh, two screens either side. On the left, it was liberators facing outwards. On the right, it was three birds <laughs> facing outwards and a couple of heroes as well. And then in the middle, and they were basically protecting two units of judicators, uh, who are the archers in the center. And at the front, uh, the, the phalanx was kind of led by two formulators and my general, uh, Tantris also on a Drakoth. Uh, so it was basically kind of looked like quite an orderly kind of parade, basically. It's like this parade it of like gold. a stormcast marching formation. It did. Yeah. Cool. And it also, functioned well as one actually like we'll, we'll come on to how it, how it performed but it, it did sort of do what i wanted it to do um yeah it immediately meant that like i mean luckily because my units were so fast i couldn't it wasn't like having kind of like strung out in the wrong place no, necessarily no. Um, but it did change what i wanted to do with the rest of the force so um i wanted to keep my dark host characters behind line of sight blocking terrain for yeah. as long as possible so i made sure to position there mm. i wanted my gaunt summoner around to cast buffs um and I wanted to be able to get my flamers into cover because I didn't want my flamers to get shot off. So I kind of positioned on the other side with the other two blocks of uh, pink horrors. I also wanted pink horrors nearby the Dark Oath War Queen for reasons. Um, mm. So I set that up. And then you, based on the scenario, gave me first turn because you had choice. Yep. Um, and my first turn was pretty straightforward, a little bit underwhelming. So like I cast all my buffs. Uh, I cast a buff using the Gaunt Summoner where he gave the War Queen an extra attack for the rest of the game. Mm. I moved the flamers up to take cover. I moved the Gaunt Summoner up behind the flamers um, so that they were kind of like in range of your troops waiting for you to come forward. Mm. So no aggressive spells this turn. Uh, piled up loads of shields on one of the units of Pink Horrors just to kind of try and... Um, so I could move it up and hopefully not have it shot off sure. straight away. Um, and move my kind of flamers and chariot around to start getting some wounds onto the Fulminators because the Fulminators were the thing I was most worried about. Yeah. Uh, and for good reason. Yeah. Because uh, they're, really, they're really good. Um I had a very, uh, so I had really good runs, like really good run rolls. Like everyone's running like 11 inches across the board mm. to get stuff forward. The Dark Oath War Queen runs forward, gets behind cover. Um, 
but the uh the flamers had a very very cold turn they did like it was like it was something like i got one across uh the 10 attacks from the flamers and six attacks from the chariot into the same target i got one wound through mm. and then at the end of that shooting phase rolled a one for the capricious warp flame which healed that one. <laughs> yeah uh which it is about is as badly as that can go particularly because because the advantage to me so i giving me first turn makes a lot of sense the advantage to me however is it means i get around to shooting before your buffs start to come out correct um your defensive buffs mm. and so not getting anything through really sucked mm. however I, my uh, unit Pinkharis did manage to shoot Adjudicator to death. That's true. And for once, you actually failed a battle shock test. Yeah, it's extraordinary. And uh, I had to roll a six to do it, but I, I managed it. Yeah. And so Adjudicator just ran away straight yeah. away. Like, bugger this, yeah, I'm off. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was sort of it for my first turn, which was um, sort of relatively un- uneventful. And then we got into yours, in mm. which you could do something I didn't realize you could do. And that Adjudicator just came back. Yeah, so the, the importance, uh, things be weird in the realm of death at the moment. Uh, so you can, the, uh, the particular sign I chose to interpret, I can't remember what it was called, the skull, the, this is some sort of skull. The, the bloody skull, the, the red skull, skull, something like that. Big skull. And uh, one of those cards, uh, was basically, you could spend, uh, for a unit of five runes or less, you could spend the number of, uh, a number of portent points, uh, equivalent to that. Uh, the number of wounds that character had and just bring them back. And you could do that for one model per unit. Uh, but you can only use it once in one unit. So basically you just spent two points to bring back my two wound model in the Judicators. And mm. uh, yeah, it's just back. It's just, just back up to four, which is nice. So this, um, so the big choices you made in this turn were like, um, so since <coughs> we last played, they have nerfed the changeling. Yes. So he's now revealed if there's a hero within him at the end of any phase, mm. it, within him, within three inches of him at the end of any phase, not just at the end of the hero phase. Sure. Or your hero phase. So you did choose to go for the changeling with Tantris. Yep. And you also kind of started to kind of like disperse your troops, brought the formulators around the wall. Kind of what was the thinking, man? Uh, so yeah, I mean, basically the, it was kind of cool to watch because there's the cavalry at the front sort of peeling off to deal with major threats. And, um, your two biggest close combat units are basically your heroes, your Dark Earth War Queen and, uh, the Chieftain. So I thought I'd just go and punch them to death with my hardest close combat unit. Uh, but I felt like I had to get rid of the changeling because the, um, the movement debuff is very good on Formulators. So it halves their movement basically, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, which brings them down to a five inch move, which is the same as Liberators. Um, in hindsight, what I might have done actually is ignore the debuff and use, uh, my Herald's run and charge ability to actually just get them into combat in spite of the buff so uh, the advantage of that would mean that I wouldn't have had to divert Tantris off to go and deal with Changeling and could have kept Tantris with the Formulators mm. and actually um, the trait I took on Tantris's Dracoth was that if he's within six inches of another Dracoth he gets two extra attacks and because I took a nice one in that gave him two extra attacks against Chaos on his main weapon he'd have five attacks with the Lightning Hammer and five attacks with his Dracoth and he's already good in combat but those extra that extra yeah, that is insane that's nuts uh, yeah. one big factor that we hadn't mentioned actually is um, I took the Cunning Deceiver trait on my War Queen yes which means that for the first round of the game so mm. including my first turn your first turn all of your hit rolls are reduced by one yes uh, which only applies to the first turn of the game and then it goes away forever and you know there are certainly there are command abilities that uh, consistently useful throughout the game and this is an all-in yeah but the reason i took it and it paid off a lot in this turn mm. was to blunt your initial attack because 
minus one to hit means suddenly things that explode on sixes don't work. Yeah. And I need to survive one turn of that, mm. I think. So loads of, uh, loads of, loads of Stormcast weapons that explode on sixes to roll and to hit and, st- uh, sorry, to hit and to wound and stuff like that. Yeah. So obviously all those hit rolls are, are deactivated, which is really strong. Um, so yeah, uh, th- that was certainly useful. Uh, so it dampened the shooting as well, which is a, a big problem for, uh, for your arm. Didn't dampen the dudes. It didn't dampen the dudes. Nothing had dampened the dudes. So, so yeah. My plan to get my uh, flamers onto cover in order to protect them from the judicators mm. was somewhat revealed to be a bit of a problem because guess who's back? It's Dr. Dudes. He's been ages since I've run him in an army and it felt so good using his bullshit again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, he just stepped up and he, you know, 15 inches just honks at it and it automatically happens. Uh, he rolled like a perfect roll actually. Uh, no, actually this happened later. But, he had, did it twice actually, I think. Yeah, he just rolled the perfect roll where he couldn't, he hit your guys and didn't hit any of my guys. Yeah, so he, he killed, in that first one, he killed a flamer and took two wounds off the Gaunt Summoner. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, ouch. And then, um, yeah, so what else happened that turn? So, um, I shot something. I shot. You killed the changeling with the judicators. That's right. So my general basically marched up face to face with the changeling and then revealed him at the end of that phase. And then in the shooting phase that followed, um, the judicators killed him. Yes. The judicators killed him. The, you did have to use another, um, uh, another, um, prophecy, uh, portent called precursor wound, mm. which is when you've dealt a wound. So oh, yes. you can like play, play points. This is out of the deck you chose. Just to deal another mortal wound. Another mortal wound, which is just enough just to kill him. Off. Yeah. And that was a big deal because that allowed, uh, so that free. meant that, meant that Tantris could then charge yes. my Herald on disc mm. rather than be stuck, stuck in combat with the changeling for, for sure. one turn. Yeah. Which true. would have been nice because I could hit you with Tantris's weapon. Yeah, that's true. That would have been yeah. nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was very good for Tantris to be able to basically, he just went mental actually. He just like charged all the way up the board and, uh, he's, he's got a bit wrong with all his reforgings, but I think when he gets into the, when he gets on a roll, he really just yeah. kills everything. Yeah. Um, Harold did survive that turn, however, but like mm. barely, like right. just sort of survived it, but didn't manage to do any damage back to. to no, I used another portent to stop rend from affecting. Yeah, make him immune to rend as well, which. Yeah, so he's, then he's on three plus save. He's rerolling ones. Um, if he successfully rerolls one, he does mortal wounds to stuff around him because the thunder shield, like he's really good. He's really good. I always, keep, I, I kept forgetting rules like that for him before. <laughs> now yeah. I remember them. He's actually very, very good. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Um, so then going into round two, you won the roll off. Mm. So got the Stormcast double turn. Yeah, is, vital. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, a big, a big, a big double turn. I think. Yeah, that's huge. But, uh, also a really exciting turn for lots of different reasons. <laughs> so, um, you can see this spreading out. Uh, if it sounds like I'm leading this simply because I'm reading from my, the notes, but, <laughs> uh, you got those formulators straight into the, War Queen in your movement phase. I'm trying to think if there's anything else about your movement phase here that was kind of uh, kind of keeping the formation roughly together. So the birds went out and basically blocked, tried to block the um, horrors. pink horrors. And also, I used um, I used a minor important ability in the first turn that uh, drastically slowed the movement of pink horrors on my left flank. Yes, so uh, you were bringing in a unit of big pink horrors in from either side of the board, and I successfully basically pushed out with the formation and stopped them from getting into really being in the battle <laughs> for a while yeah for a while yeah this is, this is an interesting game where like the pink horrors weren't really involved at first no it became more important as the game went on yeah. um but i didn't want to get swamped so yeah um so uh, yeah this one i basically rounded the corner with my formulators and uh, charged the dark earth war queen yeah and then during the shooting phase yeah what did i do in the shooting phase so the precision dude the, oh the yeah sniper dude yeah yeah so you got you, you, you dooted at the training and only had the, the, the flamers on it, mm. but you rolled with the, the, the formulators at this point were really close by. Yeah. 
and you got a two for the range, which was just enough to get the Gaunt Summoner and the Flamers, but not, not the Fulminators. Yeah. And that precision dude killed the Gaunt Summoner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, got the remaining Flamer down to one health, mm. at which point he was killed by the Judicators. Yeah. So that was the Flamers and the, the Gaunt Summoner gone. Uh, then I'm trying to think what... Do I do some damage to the chariot? You did. You did a bunch of damage. Um, I think um, Tantris's mount had a big old gob at the chariot. Yeah, he spits fire at him. Uh, took, and he also shot at it with the Judicators as well. Yeah, I think he got it to two health that turn as well. Yep. Uh, that was good. Um, and then we had a very sort of incredible nonsense <laughs> combat phase. Yeah. So it, I, I forgot to mention in the beginning of the game, I got an incredible destiny dice roll. Mm. It was one of the best destiny dice rolls I've ever seen. It was four sixes, three ones, mm. uh, three and a four, mm. which is, I think that's right. It is amazing because obviously sixes are great and ones can be used for pink horror battle shock to bring yeah. them back. Um, However, I would soon need them. <laughs> yeah, so the formulators are incredible on the charge. I should mention at the start of the phase, um, the previous hero phase, my Castellan had shone his magic lantern on them, which gives them plus one save, and also means whenever they roll a six to save, they get a wound back, so they're being healed as well by saving yeah. stuff. Uh, so they're rolling in, they've got two plus save, they reroll ones because they've got shields. Um, they get an extra plus one save for shooting attack against shooting attacks because of the, the glaives they're working on. There's a one up save against shooting attacks. Yeah, which is insane. Um, so they, yeah, they, they charge in and the, the big thing about formulators is that they are three damage on the charge with their glaives. Uh, then they go back to one damage afterwards, but they, um, they charge in. They got some really good hit rolls. Um, you got four hits through. Four hits The War through. Queen has, uh, six wounds. Yeah. So if two of those go through, she has, so the way the War Queen works is she has, I gave her a, 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 a artifact that gives her an extra wound so she has six wounds mm. anytime you deal a wound to her she has a six up kind of ignore yeah and if that ignore is successful she bounces a mortal wound back mm. but otherwise it's only a five up save yeah so with the rend on the fulminator weapons you had four attacks through and if any two of them succeed she's dead, she's dead unless, I get, oh, right. before, unless i get before the dracos even attack yeah yeah and that's needing the mortal wound saves to go off yeah um so i committed and that's a six up save so I just straight out committed all four of my Destiny Dice Sixes to save her. Yep. Um, so that, that saved her all of that damage. Mm. Um, the Dracoth's whiffed. Well, they did a bit. No, they so. didn't. No, the, no, the Dracoth's got her to one health. Oh, okay. Cause yeah. then the Dracoth okay. did, oh, like, yeah, yeah. cause then the Dracoth did, I think, five damage themselves. Yeah. So the Dracoth's have a thing where if you roll a six to wound, they do d6 damage. So I think one of those d6 damage attacks. Were. Yeah. I think you got, I think you got, six damage through in the end mm. but i bounced two of them yeah. with her ignore mm. which did some wounds back to the yes fo- yeah that's what happened because i bounced two wounds back so i got two sixes for her mortal wounds mm. save so she crawled out of that combat on one health yeah but like that was a big like expenditure yeah to get. but then the amazing thing is while then the uh the war queen and the chieftain attacked the fulminators back mm. but not only did they fail to do any damage, you rolled enough sixes on saves that they managed to heal all of the damage. Yeah, they came back into full health. So. The- <laughs> yeah, which is fine. It was just insane combat. Um, it was. Basically, like, it was the, the one charge I wanted to get off in the entire game came off, uh, but then and everything went right. All the attack rolls went through, and then it was all just negated, basically, in the end. Uh, yeah, like, I think, I know that can kind of be a negative feeling at the same time. It was like, mm. I had plans for those Destiny 6s, and it was like, yeah. I want this hero to survive this, so I'm just putting this down. Mm. Like, yeah. 
um particularly because i was at this point genuinely afraid of a tabling like losing the flamers and the gaunt summoner just like that yeah um this was also like i lost the herald uh the herald that turn i just lost the changeling like a lot of your wizards were down i well i lost three heroes on that turn mm. um all of which were wizards and mm. that was all of my wizard heroes yeah so like it was full disaster recovery mode so it was like yeah. i'm not keeping those sixes for spell casts anymore this is mm. Um, cause the things like, so if I've been able to keep those sixes, the things like, um, D3 damage rolls, it's very useful to be able to, uh, D3 weapon profiles and things. Yeah. D3 damage weapon rolls. There's also things like every unit of pink horrors had a bolt of zinch, which casts on an eight, having a six to commit to that, to manage to guarantee it or mm. semi guarantee it mm. is really good. That's D6 mortal wounds. Yeah. So each of those sixes is super valuable. Mm. Committing them is just, I just want this hero to survive. Honestly, it was, I've spent a week and a half painting this hero <laughs> i'd like her to roll to dice once a bit more. you know what i mean yeah um so i stand by the decision to do it although i appreciate that it was a frustrating oh yeah it's totally way. the right decision but that's that's the one of the kind of the game feel things about zinch is that you you could do you definitely right and then they're just like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. yes yeah but it, is, no. it is sort of diminishing returns right mm. i think i think a lot of age sigma armies work like that where yeah. it's like i'm good in this particular moment yeah i have to capitalize on it as much as i possibly can mm. or else i'm gonna not gonna get this opportunity again yeah sure I mean, uh, uh, what's stupid about it from my perspective is that I would have felt better about it if you'd rolled four sixes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which doesn't make any sense if you think about it. Like, why, why would one thing feel worse than the other? But it yeah. kind of does. And it came from me. Like, I rolled those sixes at the start. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, the Destiny Dice thing can, it's, is really interesting from a feel point of view mm. because it, it's not, you know, people who get frustrated with it are like, oh, you just get to use whatever result you want. It's not. It's you roll nine dice at the start of the game, mm. and then the game is pick the best moments to use those results yeah. later. Mm. So you still roll the dice at some point. Mm. It's not a re-roll. It's not a plus. It's not a, you know, it's not a bonus. Yeah, it's sure. not, it's not a, like, so, you know, the, you know, for example, right, like, none of my shooting attacks have rend. Mm. So that lantern thing, which doesn't require a dice roll, no. just switches off shooting on the fulminators. Yeah. Right? Like, it doesn't matter what kind of trap I built. It's like, that switches it off. So I have to build, work around that. And it's yeah. the same thing, right? Yeah, like, it it's just, um, but yeah, I get, I get that in the moment, this is kind of like me just shuffling over six, four sixes and being like, no, thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's just saying, cause you, it's, it's negated the moment, like, tactically, you've done everything right. Like, you've put it, things in the right position, you've got the charge, and then you've got the rolls, and then it's like, eh. Yeah, but, I mean, I suppose the, the fact that I had those four sixes was public information, but you, I guess you don't know how many hits you're gonna get, so. Yeah, and you basically, with formulators, because basically they are, they kill on the charge, mainly. Right. You've gotta take the charge, you just can't, like, oh, I'll hold off until he's got less, a few destiny dice, that's not how you can play them. No, no, no. And I suppose there's always the opportunity that, you know, you just get more of those attacks through. Mm. Or that you was, get fewer of them through, and I don't have to spend as many destiny dice. Yeah. Avoid it, like I mean, uh, the thing I learned was to roll the Drakoths first, so that uh, yeah, because if I'd have done that, you'd probably have destiny diced a bunch of that damage off. Yeah, uh, I probably wouldn't now that I know that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but then coming in with the damage, then I would have worked out. But yeah, it's just you know, it's good to yeah. But I mean, then there was, then there was the kind of the karma of like, yeah, fine, I bought her a turn of fighting, mm. but she managed to heal you with it yeah that's true <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's crazy the um the castellant formulator combo is incredible it's yeah. just so so good it's ridiculous um so so the herald dies um i heal you that was the outcome of that turn <laughs> so then we got to my turn two um so one of the new command abilities you can use in the realm of death is called soul power sacrifice mm. where your general can pick a friendly unit within three inches of your general and you can deal as many wounds to that 
hit character or unit as you want yeah. in order to heal that many wounds on your general. So you suck your wounds out of a nearby ally, yeah. basically. So I dealt four wounds to the Dark Oath Chieftain, putting mm. him on one health yep. to heal four wounds to the War Queen to mm. get her back to five. Yep. Um, because I figured you, you wouldn't want to be dedicating attacks to the Chieftain. Mm. Like he wasn't that good in the game at all. <laughs> no, so he wasn't. like it was like, if you take the time to kill him, you're not killing her. Yeah. So it kind of saves her either way. Yeah. So um, it raises an interesting question for me to answer, doesn't it? It's yeah. Like, do like, I want okay. to just wipe out this rando or? Yeah. Go after um, and then um, I managed to sort of um, throw a lot of spells. Um, I interpreted the, I was using the, the deck of, of my importance cards for the War Queen specifically. So, mm. um, I used a lot of stuff from the, the Nurgle spell this gives her access to, like this pestilence spell. Yeah. Um, and a pretty good casting roll on a bolt of zinc from some pink horrors, um, to throw mortal wounds into the fulminators and kill one of them. Mm. Uh, cause I needed them gone. Cause I really wanted to get her into your hero line cause she's really good against heroes. Yeah. Um, as for a chance to kind of pull things back. Um, bog down Tantris with the Screamers hmm. and kind of keep him there. Um, I move the, the chariot back into a position where it can kind of just keep firing and start moving the, the pink horrors up. But I really need to clear those bloody birds. Hmm. Yeah, they um, did their job. Yeah, they were really good target, actually. Um, so um, managed to... Um, I also... I think I got like was it a heal or something? Cause the amount of stuff, cause obviously loads of stuff died in the previous turn, mm. which triggers that, um, the death roll on yeah. my face, but I'm not sure exactly what it did. Can't remember now. No. Um, so this sort of led to a, another, this was the, uh, combat phase where all of our save rolls were insane. Yeah. So I threw, everything with the war queen into um the fulminator mm. and i think i healed it back to full health again the it, surviving one that other pink horrors did yes one of them did yeah um no the pink horrors went in combat this time okay it was the mm. yeah um the um but yeah so i did exactly no damage to you but with the event addition of mystic shield on my war queen this turn she managed to survive everything the fulminator yeah put back uh, on natural dice this time which mm. was very welcome i think you even got no i think you got a wound through possibly maybe like i think you got something through because i know i bounced at least one wound back yeah it wasn't a good performance on the dice um given the number of attacks i think but that happens mm-hmm. um the screamers had really hot dice and got eight wounds through onto tantris mm. and you rolled just take natural saves. So it's like, just yep. saved it. Yeah, saved it all. And then he killed half the unit in return. Yeah, his. Um, I'm gonna. I'm definitely consider taking the plus two attacks item again. It's only plus two against chaos. That's the thing. Um, right. So it's normally plus one attack, but five attacks of the lightning hammer on the six it explodes and does two mortal wounds. Yeah, he did nine wounds to them. I think. Yeah. So if you if you're rolling five dice rather than three, the the odds of getting that off is just much much greater. Yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, very good. Um. These, the, my, my pink horrors were in a frustrating position because I managed to get, kill all of the birds except for the last wound on the last one. Mm. But that means the sort of a whole round with the potential for more. Yeah. Where they're not like doing loads and loads and loads. No, it's extraordinary they survived that really. But then the pink horrors were 
directing their spells elsewhere, like at the formulators, the shooting is not very good for, for on pink horror. So they're mm. just statistically, it's hard for them to do six wins to a thing. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. At this point in the game, like it was all about trying to get through the formulators to, um, just try and pull the momentum back a little bit mm. because I'd, like with all those heroes came a lot of damaging spells as well. Like a lot of yeah. them have unique damaging spells. Mm. So now I'm down two bottles each and arcane bolt. Those yeah. are the only two dam- apart from the portents, which still do provide more. Yeah. But given how important my mortal wound output was, I'd lost so much yeah, that sure. I needed you that push back the other way. You don't have any rend in your army as well. So without mortal wounds, you just only very little, very difficult to get through stormcast. Yeah. Um, I did, however, manage to get the double turn going into the mm. third round. Yeah. Um, and then, poured absolutely everything into mm. that fulminator yeah uh arcane bolt so um i used a i used a portent that allowed my war queen to pretend to be a wizard for a single <laughs> moment in order to cast arcane bolt yeah committed a destiny dice to casting it but then it was unbound by the veritant yeah it's, it's never happened before <laughs> will never happen again <laughs> um then i threw the pestilence spell which i think got it to one yeah health then uh bottles each failed Mm. But then I rolled the six for the terrain effect. Yes. Which meant the ground itself ate the uh, final formulator. later, he went down. <laughs> it was close. It probably would have gone, might have gone down in combat. Uh, the thing is, if you didn't kill him, I would have used this, the malign portent spell that brought back my judicates earlier. I would have just spent five points to bring back the second ju- the second formulator. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's the game over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just um, have to do it. So pulled him down, but also I wanted to be able to charge his war queen into your heroes. Yeah, sure. The hero um, line was just, just behind him. Yeah. Just behind the formulator. Um, then, um, <laughs> got talking about the flame is not being much. The, the chariot poured all of its fire into Tantris who got a six on the save, didn't take any damage himself, but got a six on a save that bounces a mortal wound. Uh, yeah, so what happens with his thunder shield is that if he rolls a one, you, you re-roll ones with shields, uh, basically. Oh, if you successfully get that re-roll, it then does, it goes kaboom, and then every enemy within three inches takes a mortal wound, basically. So you, I actually killed a screamer with my own flame. Uh, yes, you the did. First, yeah. The first the kill the famous got. Yeah. Um, and then I got to the exciting thing, because every time the War Queen kills a hero, she gains an extra attack. And mm. I just, I had this dream of like how this game could possibly go at this point. Yeah. Where she gets into your hero line and she just starts killing people mm. because I kept the pink horrors near her so that she can eat a horror, get a health back. Yeah. And then I'll regenerate those horrors in battle shock phase yeah, with yeah. the ones in my destiny pool. Mm. And you might actually struggle to take her down and she might kill a lot of people before she finally goes down. Yeah. And maybe that just about gives me time to kind of pull this back. Mm. Um, so she goes straight into the Castellan, who take, took a lot of fire from the Pink Horrors as well, got into three wounds. Yeah. Um, but she only managed to squeak through um, two wounds in the end. Mm. And it, it came down to a D3, well, um, it came down to a D3 damage dice roll, basically, where yeah. if I got a two, he died. Mm. Um, sorry, if I got a, as in three. Two, D3 two, so a three, sure. a three up, he dies. Yeah. And I got a two, so it was just, eh. Um, but it got to one health. Which meant that, um, uh, a funny situation later that term when all the heroes started attacking the war queen mm. got her quite low. Um, so most of them struggled to hit her, but then the Castellan, yeah. who is my former chaos sorcerer lord. So two kind of former and current kind of chaos, agents uh, of Zinch kind yeah, of having yeah. a go at each other. Um, he had a really hot kind of attack, did six wounds total. Yeah, he's just, uh, he's got two damage on his halberd, one rend, three, yeah. three plus two plus. So you got three through, yeah. three through the save. So I was rolling, and I, so I rolled her mortal wound save for the six damage. Mm. Um, I didn't bounce enough to save her, but I did bounce enough to kill him. So they took each other out. Yeah, so they took each other out, which, which was kind of, of yeah, yeah, really nice. Sort really of, cool. 
Yeah, um, it's a shame because like she struggled to make it to the next hero phase where she could have pulled the wounds out of that nearby, you know, yes. big horrors. She never quite got the opportunity to do it. Um, but then, you know, a lot of fire was going into like the next turn, basically. So yeah, you could have started shooting her, yeah. which would have definitely been yeah, that would have been game over. Um, yeah, so big um, hero melee, and then uh, Tantris wiped out the rest of the screamers. Yep. and this brings yep. us to your third turn, Tom. Yeah, so where you remembered that you had Vanguard Hunters. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot them for the entire time. So, um, having successfully held off the pink horrors on the either side of the flank, um, I decided to deploy the Vanguard Hunters to basically continue to hold off um, the uh, the horrors on that particular flank. So all that all that was left was like the chieftain. <laughs> uh, yeah so we had the chieftain on one health yeah so also because loads of stuff died in the previous turn mm. you got to roll on the death table and you got like a death nuke yes i got a death nuke uh so that was just pick a guy and do d3 water wins wasn't it no no that was this was pick <laughs> a unit and roll a dice for every model in the unit oh yeah yeah so and yeah targeted some big horrors of that and killed half of them yeah that was so good. it was every it was pick a unit roll a dice it was 10 dice every five up is a mortal wound yeah and you killed five of them that was good yep uh, against the odds, but yep, that was nice. Uh, then I rolled for the, the train effect, which is, uh, on a six, you get to allocate D3 multiple wounds to, is, yeah, enemy. You used to kill the fulminators. Yep, rolled six, and so took off the chieftain, <laughs> so the ground ate him as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just like shriveled into nothing. So now there's just, there's a flamer chariot, and there are three units of pink horrors. Um, uh, but you've got a lot of, you've got three ones to, which you can use on mm. the battleships to bring them back. Uh, however, basically I just used my duty cases to shoot the chariot to death. He only had one thing left. Yep. Um, charged the liberators into, um, one of the units of pink horrors and that tantrus doubled back and also charged them. And uh, basically it was just a, a kind of mop up affair from there. Yeah. My hero line piled into the weakened unit of pink horrors and destroyed them. Um, the, the comedy of vanguard hunters who showed up at the back very dramatically like <laughs> yeah res- you know the cavalry has arrived you're hmm. saved hmm. you know lord tantrus we are here and then they did i've never seen them do less they <laughs> they get a lot of dice rolls um but they are like their profile's not amazing that they, they they can go either way but they really really fluffed it in in with all of their crossbow shooting and all of their combat they <laughs> failed to kill a single pink horror which is pretty bad for, because pink <laughs> horrors are not are not very survivable um, um but still I, I, they were blocked though. I didn't want like loads of pink coming into one thing at once and coalescing. So, you know, that was fine really. Yeah. Just um, a big golden barrier. Yes. So, uh, we did choose to call the game at that point because mm. even though it's supposed to go to five rounds, I can't pull that back. Like three no. pink horrors with the amount of stuff you had surviving, just mm. adjudicators, I probably couldn't do it. Yeah. So, um, major victory to you. Mm. Um, and a really interesting one. And even though it's obviously armies that are familiar to us with a few extra pieces, uh, I did feel like the more important stuff added quite a lot of interesting stuff, mm. particularly like um, the War Queen. All of the Harbingers have a unique um, sign they can use. And one of the things they have in common is they each have a power that allows them to once per game swap that sign for any of the other signs. Mm. So it feels like there's a skill cap there. I was wondering, like through the game, I was having that stress of like, do I go to the book and look? Like, right. is there a sign here that saves it's me? Better, yeah. And can I swap to it now? Yeah. Um, like, you know, would that work? Mm. And so I think that's the kind of thing I'd like to go away and learn so mm. that like, cause that's a genuine skill cap thing of knowing, oh, now's the time to switch to the sign of the snake or something. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mine was the, um, the law, uh, what, what are they called? Signs. The sign yeah. I had was very, very good for Stormcast. The ability to bring back a model for Stormcast is super amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for formulators, but even just bringing back a Liberator for two points is really, it's a no-brainer. It's really yeah. It, it then, whereas that's not actually that good for Siege at all. No. Like, no. because, um, like, that's the thing, right? Like, 
you see, um, you give me the first turn and I succeeded in killing one judicator and got very lucky on Battleshark and got mm. another one, but then half of that was undone by the next turn. Yeah. And then the turn after that, they back to full strength. Yeah. Which is insane. Um, whereas, yeah, like I think the, it was an interesting game. The double turn was crushing, mm. like losing three heroes and all the flamers was just like, fuck, like that was yeah. worse than I possibly thought it could go. They're so easy to shoot. That's the trouble with Siege heroes. They're really squishy. They don't have a good save. They're just, and rend one, like damage one, and the, and the Judicator Prime's able to create those, you know, D6 attack, you know, wound rolls. Yeah. Zinch here is just a, I could have a miserable time. There's so little you could do. That's why I put them on cover. Yeah, yeah. But then you dooted the cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's no escape from it. I mean, it's line of sight blocking, but it's so hard to get out of the way. Yeah. Also partly because I need line of sight because my shooting, my spells are the thing. That's true, like, actually. Yeah. So like if, I, if I'm in line of sight blocking cover, I can't do anything. Yeah. So. 10 judicators is, it's phenomenally good. Yeah, uh, it's really good. Which is what in a two thousand point army, like I'd say. I think it's I think it's I think it's something that you could potentially be dealt with. Like mm-hmm. uh, my my tactic for trying to deal with it was trying to force you to split your targets into stuff I didn't care yeah. about. Like, I didn't really care about the change thing. Mm. Um I just didn't want him to die straight away. I didn't want him to die in one turn. I wanted it like like the one turn's worth of distraction. Yeah. Maybe he does some damage back, maybe he doesn't, I don't really mind. I just you know, I'd rather you be going that way with Tantris so that yeah, I, I really wanted to get the war queen into that kind of juicy huddle of mm, uh, heroes, yeah. unmounted heroes that she could potentially start ripping apart. Yeah, but didn't quite get there. No, um, plus, like she's good, but she didn't quite have the rend to get through stalker's heroes very quickly. She does have minus one. Yeah, and she does. Min- she has minus one rend. She's potentially up to six attacks each with two damage, which she can get there. Like yeah. it's just, and particularly because she's reflecting wounds as well. Mm. Potentially, yeah. Like, that's quite I nice. think. I think it's. Yeah, it's or, worth right. a shot. Appropriately to the law, she's a very good duelist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think she'll probably win a one-on-one oh, sure. above her points grade, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because she's only 80 she's points. 80 points, yeah. yeah. She's, I think she's good for 80 points, actually. Yeah. Because she, she fills in, the, like, the... She's got, like, 80 points spare and 2,000 points. She might as well. And just have a kind of... Uh, put her behind some Zangor or something and have a leap out and assassinate heroes every now and then. Yeah. And yeah, it's just yeah. a bit of punch in you as each army as well, which is, is still sorely lacking, really. In when point. my mortals arrive, I think that's something That'll we'll see certainly a change, massively, yeah. yeah. But then I'll probably bring a Star Drake, do a bit of... Uh, bit of forward clearance but yeah and i i um in plot terms i don't really think she's dead like this this oh, no. you know this period mm. in the mortal realms things happen she's her test hasn't gone brilliantly no but um <laughs> she tried yeah and you know tantra survived a game for once yeah. so he's not getting reforged yeah it's um it, he's very good at squashing smaller things uh he, <laughs> he really did uh did a number on that um herald on z herald yeah. on disc even. and um and the change thing as well and the change like, stand back everyone i will fight this <laughs> yeah. cape yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think the gamble of to shoot off the changeling and give Chantress access to the backline was was okay actually. Yeah, I think that was a good. I think that was a good call. Yeah, because it's just getting your spellcasters off because that's where all your mortal wound output comes from. So, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm worried about as um, stormcast. I'm not really worried about your fighting heroes very much. I'm worried about your insane nuke spells that could just delete Tantris or delete uh, formulators. You know? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is one know, of those that like I was holding onto those Destiny sixes so mm-hmm. that those pink horrors like. Pink horrors closest to Tantris, we're going to get a bolt of Zinch off, and that's going to be D6 small. Yeah, of course. Like that's, no, know, maybe him. I roll a one, but like. It just kills him. Yeah. yeah. Or it doesn't, but you know, like that's the. Although Actually, have can, a five you, can you use uh, Destiny Dice for multi wounds in that context? No, you can use it for spells. Gotcha. So it's because oh, it's, 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 it's cast on an eight. Yeah, I see. I see. Um, it's cast on an eight, and they get plus one from being an Eredemon hero, so mm. the Herald. Yeah. Um, so if I put the six down, 
it's going to go off mm. unless you can do spell it. But I think there's a Dracoth trait that gives him Mortal Moon save, which I'll consider in the future, actually. Yeah. That'd be very useful. Well, more, like, honestly, like a lot of this, the mortal stuff I'm going to build will include corporate mortal wound saves because I need it as well, right? Sure. Like, I need it for Dr. Dutes. I need it for <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, lightning it's, things exploding. It's like, part of the game, isn't it? Like, everyone does loads of mortal wounds. Yeah. It's just, for me, it happens to my hero phase. Mm. Um, which I think partly might be one of the, again, a feel thing. We talked yeah. about feel a lot over the last year, but yeah. like, I think losing something before you had a chance to act is very different to losing it at the end. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you rolling a six to wound and telling me, oh, by the way, that's, this, that's a mortal wound or whatever. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, okay. It's Whereas distributed. If yeah. it's like, if I just rolled dice at the start of the t- game and mm. it's like, that's gone. Yeah. Like, there is Dr. Dutes. If you're going to stand on cover, I'm going to both cover. It's, yeah. That's a learned lesson by now, I would say. Yeah, but it was a real toss up because they're a ranged unit. They need to be able to see. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to see your ranged unit in order yeah. to do the thing they need them to do. To protect them from your ranged unit, mm. I have to put my cover. Yeah. So, like, I knew dutes were a thing. Yeah. But it was just like, it, I, I was dooted if I did and dooted if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult. Uh, it, uh, the, because the bolts have rent. So, flame on cover are, is like. Flamers are. Very squishy, aren't they? They, uh, they, one day they'll divide and uh, one day they will split. Yeah. That is one me a game once and mm. then, yeah, but not against you. Yeah. We should do some questions. Sure. Our first question comes from Owen who writes, Dear Tom and Chris, you being right thinking chaps will be firmly of the opinion that pallid witch flesh is the best citadel paint. If you had to choose a second favorite, what would it be? Uh, we could be exciting explain this question to other paint manufacturers, but why be dull? Oh, hang on. Why be dull? <laughs> Yours in paint spatters, Owen. Uh, what's the best? What's okay? I can see where he's going for with pile of rich flesh because it's an ideal tone for achieving that kind of bone wink I've been talking about. Mm. Um, on the on those lines, I will say probably Rakoth flesh is the best. Rakoth is really nice, isn't it? Uh, I really like Celestra Grey just because it's a very light color that covers extremely well. <laughs> uh, We're talking about like best best grade. local gp waiting room like <laughs> wall colors yeah yeah celestial gray's anatomy yeah the, uh <laughs> nice. the uh corn red is super nice it's very yeah it's really agree. good coverage it's really thick and just goes obviously and you know mm. uh those yeah those are probably the best ones um inky by darkness oh I'm a big fan of inky by darkness a, a it's like uh, it's extremely dark green, um, or very dark blue. It's greeny, dark greeny blue. Yeah. But it, it works. Uh, I use it a lot on my Zeech stuff because I don't have a lot of, there's almost no black on mm. them. Almost everything that looks black is actually very, very dark green or blue because I want the whole thing to have a kind of color vibrancy to it. Sure. Um, it's great for that. Uh, second and scale green is very cool. Ooh, yeah. Because you can go up in different directions of that. You can go up through greens or you can go up through blues because it's just sitting halfway yeah. between. Yeah. Sometimes use it instead of ink buy if I'm yeah, going for it's a really nice paint as well. It covers yeah. really well. It's just a really good paint. Uh, the worst ones are like white scar. Just good luck ever <laughs> using white, white I scar. I use white scar quite a lot. Uh, it's, it's a good mixer, but if you're actually trying to paint up to white, I find it to be a nightmare. I find there's a lot of metals that are very, very, very touching, very mm. flaky. Like a lot of the bronzes, yeah. like war block bronze can be very temperamental. Okay. Hashok copper, Sycorax bronze, Rune Lord brass, they're all yeah, the, pain. The, yeah, the Psychorax bronze is so thin, it's strange. Uh, their golds are lovely though. Really good gold paints. I really like Retropy Drama. Aurakama is just a good transparent paint. And uh, Rufan Rufan Steel, yeah, Stormhost Silver as well, yeah, good top <laughs> yeah. top names for paints. But yeah, Rakarth, it's Rakarth, Incubi, and uh, Cornred. I think I would mm. agree. Avalon Sunset, that's good. Mm. Uh, Tau Light Ochre, 
There oh, go. I've there's, got a pot. I've not used it yet. There's an outside yeah. pick. The brownie orange you didn't know you didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> what do you use that for? Is it clouds? Very Skin good uh, way. Highlighting red is super hard. Right. Highlighting red without getting to pink or explicit orange. Yeah, yeah. It's fire colors. Um, so uh, that, it's a very light brownie orange, mm. but it mixes well with corn red for a natural kind of highlight yeah, color. Yeah, very good. It goes a little bit sort of, um, more like a salmon pink. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's nice for that. Yeah, good. It gets you, yeah, it gets you, because I've been painting a lot of red cloth and things. It's mm. good for that. Um, next question comes from Andrew, who writes, uh, good miniatures. With the recent unveiling of the Rogal Dawn model, I was reminded of the Imperial Fist's wrestling-based successes, the Revival, and their tagline of no flips, just fists. <laughs> a, a statement that Rogal Dawn would likely endorse. With that in mind, what wrestlers would the other Primarchs find kinship with? Thanks for making a few of my favorite hours every month, Andrew. So what was that? That was What wrestlers would each Primarch oh find a kinship with? I'm uh, really going to have to defer to you on this one, Tom. God, yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one. Also, I'm going to have to refer to wrestlers that people broadly will know, perhaps. Well, you can go for the deep cuts, because I'm not going to know, Tom. Uh, you could just say names. So, um, Rebuk Grilliman is John Cena. That may, Yes, that's completely totally, um, totally John Cena. Yeah, that even happened basically at the end of the Gathering Storm. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Gathering Storm would be a brilliant name for a wrestling pay-per-view as well. Yes, uh, actually it is. Um, other ones, so like, what you're more feral out there, but good guys. White scars? Uh, sorry. White scars? White scars. Jack Khan? Uh, or yeah. Lemon Ross? That could be, uh, he could, he could be, uh, Mankind. Mick okay. Foley. Uh, he's, he's hardcore. He's to hammer nails into his face and stuff. Oh, shit. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but he was uh, Surely, surely that's angry. Uh, no, cause he's a good guy as well. He's, no. he's definitely, uh, he's definitely, uh, he would, he would be half fealty to the Emperor, I think. Okay. Uh, Who are the guys with the trombone? Oh, uh, the New Day. Yeah. Uh, the new day, yeah, they're, they're just kind of like, they're probably like harlequins. <laughs> okay, fine. Cause it's like, uh, you know, is, is simply having a brass instrument there going to bring you in a full grimmage direction? Actually. But probably not cause the, the vanity. They're a bit too, they're a bit too zany, I think. Okay. And they're, they're, they're yeah, there really isn't like the wacky Primarch. Either two or 11. Really, no. <laughs> like no, no. The comedy Primarch, the, like the weird Al Yankovic of Primarchs that we missed out on. Yeah. Uh, so uh, perhaps, um, so charismatic, bold, angry rebellious uh reminds you of a certain uh you know uh, heresy leader i was actually saying that i was thinking about i was thinking a little bit about the lion oh yeah because you know they kind of might have might, might have fallen <laughs> i think we, i think where that, are you going with this I, I, so, so um i think horus is probably stone cold steve austin okay that actually works perfectly yep, yeah yep uh so, that's for the, uh, who's the rock the rock's just it's the lion clearly it's the rock it's the lion <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah the rock is the lion that makes yeah, sense can you smell who in the rock is sleeping <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there you go yeah, perfect uh, so i think with that we've we've used we've headed off most of um oh who's who's just like efficient but brutally boring uh uh ferris manis ferris manis um but he's kind of he's a bit weird ferris manis like he's he's a little bit you know pale and you know sickly okay. and weird um uh, so efficient but boring. Um, arguably Dawn, um, but maybe not. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I think we've hit the main. We've hit the main wrestlers there. We've hit the main wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, can you think of anyone like sort of like um, pretty and charismatic and kind of well loved? Um, hmm. The the really pretty charismatic ones tend to become heels because if you're too pretty, then it's easy. To right. I'm just thinking like crowd. who does Horus slash Stone Cold Steve Austin kill? <laughs> oh, um, basically, who's Sanguinius? Is the who's Sanguinius? I'm gonna go for Dolph Ziggler. 
Okay. Dolph Ziggler, which is an amazing name, but he, he's basically like a, a sort of Adonis. Okay. Yeah. Frizzy haired Adonis. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. There are no wizards in WWE. <laughs> uh, the or wizards or priests. The Undertaker is definitely a wizard priest or was. So, um, Logar. Logar is the Undertaker. Yeah. Um, we're actually getting quite good progress. Maybe, here. maybe Angron is Kane. Uh, mm. who's uh, one of the brothers of destruction. So. Kane the betrayer. Yeah. Definitely not corn. Definitely not Khan. Not Khan, Khan, Khan. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah. You, 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 could, you could certainly match I mean, it's kind of like wrestling. Who's the, who's the biggest or the reddest? Uh, so the biggest at the moment is a guy called Braun Strowman. Right. Um, or Strong Broman, as it seems to be implying. Yeah. But yeah, he's, um, he's not red. Okay. He's, he's got a ridiculous beard. Okay. Which, you know, he's quite, he's not like Magnus, really. Right. Magnus right. is kind of fabulous, that's the thing. Yeah. So you have to be enormous and fabulous. Yes. Uh, and also, you know, magical in some way. And yeah. Sure where, are we, where are we at with like either sneaky or goth wrestlers? Oh, so sneaky. Uh, I'm thinking either the Night Haunter or, um, Chorus, Kovacs. Uh, so goth possibly, um, there's a guy called Bray Wyatt who is like a straggly, supposed to be like a, Mississippi cult leader or something who comes out with a lantern every time and you know before right. that they're like I think that sounds a bit um, it's a little bit night hauntery kind of to me yeah uh who else is kind of uh, there's lots of goth wrestlers I just can't can't think of any at the moment uh Sting as in the police uh no there's a wrestler called Sting okay he basically comes out in case makeup or used to and uh, oh, okay he was pretty big who's Hulk Hogan <laughs> <laughs> disgraced <laughs> uh former the emperor <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> Nailed it. That was actually really thorough, given you had no warm-up for that. Mm. Um, good. Next, uh, Pete Fiennia from Discord getting his question of the month in. Right. My question this month is a boring practical one. What do you guys do for storage? Once you've got a certain level of invested with this lovely hobby, it tends to be pretty damn space intensive. Mm. I personally keep my miniatures on a bookshelf, but it's quite a pain to move them if I'm playing a game outside my home. Do you have any amazing storage hot tips? <laughs> Love the pot fee. And I kind of, uh, this is a really expensive solution, but I kind of want to get more of Games Workshop's boxes, really, just to store stuff in. Yeah, they're good. Because uh, I know they'll be protected then. I, I don't want to put stuff in a, a a cupboard and then come back to it in a few months and something's broken or, you know, gone wrong. Whereas I just want to know that they're put away and they're safe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've, um, I have I do keep stuff on shelves and on, like, a countertop in my office, um, where we are right now, this very moment. Um, but I've taken to, actually, I've got a I've got the little uh, GW skirmish case and i've got the big crusade case and i'm probably eventually going to get the middle one as well yeah because what i found recently quite useful is I mean, at the moment i'm trying to take the effort maybe i'll talk about this next month to get out and play a few more games outside the home go to mm. game social stores and stuff so i've taken to kind of packing not just models but books and game bits and stuff in my crusade case mm. so that uh well, um, so that it's always ready to go. So my skirmish case is always ready to go for Shades Buyer. Yeah. Um, eventually what I'd like to get with the Crusade case is I can pick it up and it doesn't matter what's in it. I will be able to get a thousand point AOS game or a thousand point 40k game. Yeah. Playing demons really helps with that. Mm. But, um, and just kind of with, um, tokens and dice and books and, and, and measuring stuff and that kind of thing. <laughs> and that's kind of, uh, like also solves the storage concern because it means that stuff's just put away, but it also means that like, it's really easy to be like, I fancy to go out and play a game. This is something that is specifically useful for me because, uh, because I work for myself and I sometimes have afternoons free or whatever. It means that like, if I want to go into town on an afternoon to play a game, mm. I can do that yeah. sometimes, but sometimes it's short notice that I figure that out. So yeah, being able yeah. to just pick up a bag and go is something that, and that is kind of incentivizing me to buy more storage cases because then mm. that stuff just packs away really nicely. Mm. But I agree. Like I don't have an amazing solution to this. 
No, uh, bookshelves definitely seem to be like, uh, see all of your X-Wing miniatures up. Oh, new bookshelf here, Chris, and I've, I've put, got loads of Warhammer bookshelves, so. Yes, yeah, my bookshelf is actually clear up a bit, because I'm going to start using it for terrain as mm. well. Um, yeah, I kind of, I want to get to a point where I've got a shelf that is, basically exists for Warhammer, and it's got little LED lights that basically turn it into a display, and then everything else is in boxes, basically. Yes, uh, yeah. That's what I want to end up. I think I realised that, like, I don't need 30 pink horrors on display. No. I'd rather have my Lord of Change and some yeah, new stuff so out, yeah. and then leave the pink horrors in a bag so mm. they can come out <laughs> right. to play, basically, because yeah. they don't, you know, I don't do anything else with them, really. Mm. Cool. Thank you for writing. See, that's still a good practical question. Sorry for a short answer. Uh, our final question comes from Russell, who writes, Dear Chris and Tom, as you might remember from a previous question, I run a Warhammer club at the school I work at. I don't charge the kids anything to attend, as most are from a background that means they would never be able to experience a hobby growing up if I didn't provide it free. Unfortunately, recently I had quite a few models vandalized. I managed to arrange a pot of money from the school to buy replacements with, but it's got me thinking. Um, can you ask... Uh, my fellow listeners to have a look at their shame piles and see if there's anything they can spare to give to a local school club. Even things like spare bases can make a difference. Your local store should be aware of which schools have clubs. Um, thanks for the awesome pod. Uh, Russell, uh, PS, my Skaven and I are looking forward to seeing you at the Grand Clash. So Russell sent this a week ago and I have to apologize to Russell for the fact that I didn't make it to the yeah, Grand Clash because of, uh, the weather. And also I think it's, it's nice that Russell's saying not just, you know, donations for his club, which, mm. which we can get details for, but like, it's a nice idea. Yeah. Actually, like, mm. Um, donating to like local school clubs and, and things like that because you know it's a cool idea. So yeah. not really so much a question as a sort of it's a good thought because I, I wouldn't have. So if, for example, I've got like uh, having put a bunch of corn marauders into a blood nado, uh, that means I've got like half a unit of stuff that I'm never going to build into four units. So that would be a perfect candidate for donating to a local club. Yes, I've got a lot of sort of uh, '90s Warhammer stuff that I've inherited from home, and this might be the fate of something. Yeah, like we'll cool. see. Like I mean, obviously there's no you know, pressure to do people, but it's an interesting thought because I think maybe yeah. people haven't considered that in addition to selling stuff off, some stuff, if it's not massively either worthwhile or you're never going to use it, then maybe mm. this is a really good fate for yeah, it. Particularly really cool. if people aren't particularly asked about the state that models are in. Yeah. Like I suspect that a lot of people have shame piles of models that they painted five years ago. Yeah. That they're not really going to use them. They're not going to strip. They're not going to sell. Sure. You know what I mean? So maybe this yeah, is that's really nice. Cool idea. Good avenue. A good avenue. Hmm. So that, uh, I think that's it for, for questions. And, yeah, and I think pod. that's it. Gosh, um, lots of women. A very, very small amount of housekeeping stuff in that. Um, so the, um, so there's one piece of sort of like kind of weird, there's kind of a weird. So at the end of this, uh, almost exclusively age of Sigma related, uh, podcast we've just recorded. So oh yeah. I'm going to explain a reason why we might talk about age of Sigma even more in the <laughs> future, if that's even possible. Sure. Uh, which is that, um, I can't say loads about this yet, but, um, so later this month, one bit of news is that Star Wars Legion is coming out, which is, uh, Fantasy Flight's, um, Star Wars miniature battle game, sort of something close to Warhammer 40k with, with Star Wars. Mm. Um, I have worked on marketing materials for that game. It's one of the reasons I was overseas this month, um, working for Fantasy Flight on some stuff, uh, which means that, uh, so obviously I'm saying that in spirit of full disclosure, that means I'm probably not going to talk about Fantasy Flight stuff as much on the pod anymore. Yeah. Because I have worked for them and I feel like it'd be disingenuous to talk about their stuff without acknowledging that. Um, however, we might talk about Legion, maybe I'm oh, sure. interested to see what you made of it. Actually. Yeah, I'd like show, yeah, sure. show you and see what you think. But I wanted to say that so that we have that caveat. Yeah, cool. But also because of that experience, it does mean that like, um, I can't really talk about or speculate about the future of a lot of mm. fantasy flight miniatures games, including X-Wing. So if there's a little bit less of that on the podcast in future, that's why. So I thought I'd just explain that. 
Um, particularly if people end up writing in with questions about Legion and stuff and I just can't answer them, then sure. I figure to let people know. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that I appreciate that, um, we're a bit running a bit behind, uh, I think mostly due to my disrupted month on really sorting out details for a potential managed monthly mm. meet yeah. this year. Uh, it's not something I'd, I'd really like to do. Definitely. Um, it's just like I've had a, as I say, as Kate kept saying, uh, February was a write off for a mm. bunch of reasons. So, um, New month, hopefully sort of double down and try and, and get things going. I do know that Discord community has pulled together and kind of done their own survey for when they might do an unofficial meetup, cool. which looks like it might be angling towards Warhammer World last time I checked. All right. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on things. We'll see what makes sense. We'll try and do our best to avoid things clashing with either other community things or yeah. with big tournaments or events or... Definitely on the cards though. Yeah, definitely. So I really like Looking to do. forward to that. So I will just uh stop asking about and do the thing <laughs> is probably the way to make that happen i guess we just need a venue don't we at the time we do yes we need a venue and a date and we'll just yeah get that ball more successfully rolled cool cool uh so thank you for listening uh, as ever um this podcast is supported by the po- create and crowbar patreon you can find out more details for that on uh patreon at patreon.com forward slash create and crowbar uh, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash create and crowbar, where you'll find our podcasts and, uh, Bloodborne video series, which will be returning sometime soon. Hopefully. Yep. Um, you can also hang out with our Discord community and you should, uh, particularly if you're listening to this, the role models channel where people hang out to share modeled pics and talk about miniature, miniature people. Um, the d- link to our Discord channel is on our website at create and crowbar.com. Tom, how do people find you on the internet? Uh, best place for miniature stuff is going to be Instagram for me, and I'm Ludo Paints Minis on there, Ludo Paints Minis. And likewise for me, it's at Exit Warp on Instagram. That's E X I T W A R P. Or you can find the pair of us on Twitter at Minis Monthly, hmm. which is as it sounds. Yes, Minis Monthly. And finally, uh, our music, our intro music, as ever, provided by Mike Demenham. Thanks again, Mike, for your excellent song. Good stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next month.